Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone, your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. Hey guys, welcome back to the Command Zone. I am your host, Jimmy Wong, and... I am Josh Lee Kwai. In the first episode, we talked about EDH deck building, and today we are back to talk about something that is also equally important to the game, but has nothing to do with deck building, really. Yeah, I'd say equally important is a good way to put it. It's something that is a little bit controversial, I think. Um, I know that spiky players, and when I say spiky players, I mean players that like play to win like really hard. Um, they gen- generally don't like this aspect of the game. It's politics and negotiations at the table. Yeah, and yeah. it's because it introduces the very important variance, and sometimes you can't control what happens at the table, and spiky players, I can understand, don't like it for that reason. I also think spiky players, like in general, like they have more cards they have more expensive cards and they don't like that their big expensive cards don't always like lead them to, to victory. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of spiky players, you hear them go like, well, I'm the best player at the table, but I didn't win that game because you know, this happened and then this and they, yeah, they ganged it. up on me and then blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and it's like, Hey spikes, get over it. Like the, it doesn't take the same skill set in EDH yeah. that it takes in standard or constructed to win. You know, that doesn't mean that, you know, the being the best at magic in standard is different than being the best at magic in EDH because you have yep. to, you have to balance the politics. You have to be, you know, you have yeah. to be good at like using your clever cunning yeah. to uh, convince other players to do stuff sometimes or not to do stuff. Yeah. And, you know, you can still be a spike when you play commander too. I mean, you could be an extremely good negotiator. Exactly. And very good politically. And if you can bring that as well as your, you know, standard love, then this could be a format that you could also equally do very well in. Yeah, exactly. I think that's uh, that's exactly the point. Is like being spiky in EDH just is a little bit different than yeah. being spiky in uh, in standard or, yeah. or constructed format. But um, so we're gonna refer. I have a, this book that I just love. I've read it a million times. You may times. have heard of it. <laughs> you may have heard of it. It's called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. If you haven't heard of it, Sun Tzu was a military um, uh, genius uh, yeah. about twenty five hundred years ago. He wrote this book. And um, it's still read today by like, it's like bedside reading for like politicians, military people, Fortune 500 yeah. CEOs. Like it's it's used a lot. It's just um, one of those books that applies to a lot of different areas of both business and life. Yeah, and exactly. No actual warfare is required to take <laughs> the advice from Well, it's him. funny. The philosophies of this book you'll see will like play out uh, for EDH and magic in general. Like yeah. um, the first quote I would like to pinpoint is he, Sun Tzu says, 
If you will not begin with stratagem, but rely on brute strength alone, victory will no longer be assured. Ooh, that's yeah. deep. Sun Tzu, the art of war. Yes. <laughs> so brute strength in this case, I think, is having better cards. Yep. It's knowing more about the cards. It's like having better synergy and just sort of having a better deck. Right. If, if that's all you're relying on, which I think what spikes sort of rely on, that's not enough in EDH for victory. Yeah, not necessarily. Sometimes you can do something where it's just like, all right, you overpowered everyone. But, you know, in in general, when you have multiple players and it and you have the spikiest, craziest cards out on the table, you're not going to make any friends. Yeah, and if you're the most feared player at the table, like in one-on-one, that's okay. In fact, that can work in your favor. Yeah. But in, in a, in a five-player game, like all of a sudden the other four players are going to just go after you first because you're the scariest person there. So yep. in EDH, sometimes the best path to victory is seeming to be vulnerable. Yeah. You know, maybe playing slightly worse cards or cards that are perceived to be slightly worse like yeah. maybe playing suboptimally i know spikes hate all these things <laughs> the word but, suboptimal is nowhere in the spike six yeah right? exactly but you know in edh it's political so yeah. it's all about you know it's all about deception in fact that's another great quote i love from uh, art of war it's he says all of warfare is based on deception very true yeah because if players think they have no chance against you like if, if you just sit down the table and like this guy wins btqs yep. he's got every card he's got a black lotus in his deck like what are they gonna do they're just gonna come out you as hard as they can you can't beat four yeah. players like yeah no exactly think about it i mean statistically you have a card of one you know you have one hand and you have four other hands going against you in a variety of different colors so everyone's got something to at least respond to you for the most part especially if they've crafted you know an edh deck that's meant to play in the multiplayer format yep okay so to the spikes i say this like spikes hate it when normal players go oh i got mana screwed that game that guy beat me just through luck you know there's blah 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 that's what you're doing when you complain about the politics in edh (laughs) that's the equivalent don't complain look at what you can do different to control the situation a lot of times you can do things it's just things that you think you don't want to do like play slightly worse cards or just don't play your biggest scariest you know infinite combo piece like right onto the board on turn three like if you do those things and everybody comes after you, who's to blame? You. And yeah, a lot of pros and spiky players will say, well, before I even start the game, people are going to come after me because they know I'm the best. Not all true. It takes, all it takes is a couple of games where you just sort of like dirtle around a little bit and like, yeah. you know, help other people draw cards or do, you know, things that don't seem that scary. And before you know it, they're like, oh, he's just playing EDH for fun and we don't have to go after him. And then you can be <laughs> sort of subtly ruthless. <laughs> That's true. And, you know, I think uh, everyone has elements of the spike in them you know who doesn't want to win losing clearly is not a pleasurable thing in any format or game whatsoever so you know it, it it's not even like you don't even need to perceive be perceived as vulnerable sometimes you just need to be perceived as not the threat correct and as correct. long as you can sort of hide underneath the top threat and keep building your own stuff and you know getting the cards in hand that you need to win the game then you're in a much better position i also think like let's talk percentage here spikes are used to winning like 60 to 70% of their magic games. Right. But that's on one-on-one. Yep. If you're playing with five players, statistically, you should win 20% of the games. <laughs> yeah. So if you win 40%, you're actually like well above the curve. So Yeah, you're like, doing incredibly well if you win ex- 40% of your games. Exactly. So, I win like 10% of my games in Commander. That's what it feels like at yeah, least. Yeah, it feels like it. So, yeah. you know, just, just skew those percentages a little bit. Like just because yeah. you're a spike doesn't mean you're going to get to win 50% of your Commander yeah, games. Like, dude, true. you're playing against five people. Yeah, and you know, this goes for anyone that's a spike, Johnny, Timmy, or just any subset or any combination of those two. Politics and negotiation is the most important part outside of, 
you know what your actual deck does and what you're playing against i'd say politics and negotiations it's, it's sort of what makes edh into the quote-unquote board game yeah uh format where it's much more friendly for multiplayer because it, it requires you to interact with other people it requires you to make deals to talk to talk to your teammates that you make throughout the game to betray people all that stuff is involved so it's really important to be good at this and to at least practice it because the more you play the more you'll understand about how it works what you can and can't do the risks you can take and ultimately that will help you become a better player just in general too i I feel like for any kind of game yeah it's a super good point like to practice it to not be afraid to sort of try certain things out because you know you're you're, you can get it's a skill that you can improve on don't think of it as like i'm political or i'm not like you can learn like oh if i act in this way like people tend to get mad but if i sort of just change it slightly all of a sudden like nobody even notices me like yeah Trust me, you'll learn. You know, you'll learn those those little yeah. intricacies. And just like magic has infinite things you can do, politics has infinite things that you can do at the yeah, table. Too. Infinite there, times infinite. So many different things you can do. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about table image. Yeah. Yes. The best deck usually, often, not usually, but sometimes it doesn't win. Yeah. I would, I would say best. often it doesn't win. Yeah. Um, I remember. Well, actually, last night we were just playing against uh, Craig, one mm-hmm. of our friends, and he has some. Um, very i mean they're a great combination of uh of like a combo deck and craig has the best cards in our group. <laughs> yeah by far <laughs> but craig often doesn't win because as soon as we see the threat grow we're like all right see you later dude <laughs> craig has like alpha and beta cards and stuff and it's like you know you start seeing like scary stuff that is yeah. from really early sets and it's like everyone just just jumps you you know so yeah, he exactly. has to be real careful about how he plays yeah exactly you know, it's a fine line to walk but craig still wins games he does win games he yeah. wins games when when we let certain you know he wins games based off of the mistakes made by other people so let's say i have a removal spell and i see something on his table and i'm like all right guys what should we get rid of everyone looks around and we sort of make a group consensus like i think this is the worst because this is doing the most damage to everyone when there's another card hiding on the table that's really causing the havoc and you know you make a mistake like that and that can allow craig to win the game i think craig wins sometimes too when he you know stumbles on mana and he doesn't seem that threatening or just you know right. when every once in a while he just makes too many people mad like it's just like anything else <laughs> but the, the point here is like how you construct your table image is just as important as how you build your deck yeah so the first thing i would say is you have to realize that everything you do is going to be analyzed by the other players at the table yeah consciously and subconsciously yeah we're going to get a little meta here this this actually starts before the game even starts so one of the things i would say is like avoid be- bragging about like your past wins <laughs> yeah or your sweet cards that you just got for your yeah, new deck yeah cuz what are you saying you're going you're sitting down at the table and you're saying I am really scary because I won the last four games and I just got these yeah, three exactly. new awesome cards and everybody's like Holy crap, let's kill that guy. Yeah, exactly. Even if he has gets completely mana screwed, he's still going to be, or he she's going to be drawing all the ire immediately. Yeah, exactly. So you want to downplay your wins. In fact, you don't even really want to talk about the last couple times you won. If you if you just happen to have be on a streak where you like sort of won the last three games, like a lot of times, Commander's weird. People won't necessarily notice yeah. that you won three in a row. They'll know, sort of know you won the last one and yeah. you won a few, but you know. Well, so many games come down to, you know, just 1v1 dueling it out while the other person that was the fourth player got eliminated 30 minutes ago. Yeah, so and they, they don't, don't even notice who like really came out on the end. They just know, yeah. well, I was the first one out. <laughs> yeah, and and another thing I like to do is like I like to point out like the scary decks. Like somebody flips over their commander, I go, oh man, the Rafik, <laughs> the Rafik deck. Oh crap! Oh, we're we're screwed, guys. Oh, we're dear. dead. And it's yeah, like exactly. immediately you're just like no one's looking at you. Everyone's looking at that guy. Yeah, exactly. That's what you want. You want just, everybody looking at the other guy. 
you evolve that meta one level though and we go wait hold on your commander is equally terrifying in a different way yeah exactly well that's what (laughs) happens now because exactly everybody's learned those tricks but you know if your playgroup's not that advanced yet it's really if you can sort of subtly do that you just start already like propping other putting targets on other people and not on yourself yeah and i mean another alternate strategy is you say that and then i chime and go yeah that guy's terrifying so i'm also casting it off of myself (laughs) exactly so now you sort of like you made an alliance almost like it's like jimmy and i are like okay we'll we'll make that guy look bad you know yeah exactly exactly and everyone will attack him and we're running a campaign on prosh (laughs) (laughs) exactly that's politics okay so let's talk about some popular table image strategies yeah um okay another sun Tzu quote Pretend to be weak that your opponent may grow arrogant. Ah, and foolish and make mistakes. Magic is a game about not making mistakes. In fact, it's more about not making mistakes than making the right play. Often <laughs> a lot it of is, for yeah. sure. So look and act weak. And when we say weak, it doesn't mean you're shriveling in your chair and going, oh, I'm so terrified, everything. Don't touch me. Look, I'm just a poor player. We're talking about don't be popping out Elish Norn and screwing everyone over. Don't do things that make everyone upset if you don't have the board to back it up. Right, yeah. It's like, you know, you can even do things like sort of be like, ugh, mana screwed again. You don't yeah. actually have to be mana screwed. You can just say things like that. Or, man, yeah. I'd really love to draw a creature any day now. Like, just <laughs> say things that are like, my deck's not coming together here. I'm yeah. not a threat to you people because I'm just hoping to play magic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I found that EDH is definitely king of the hill. You know, if you're mana screwed or if you're not getting the cards you're getting, you know, we're all playing a 100-card deck. Someone mm-hmm. else is probably getting similarly screwed or just slightly deficient in some category or another. So if you're able to you know, commiserate with your fellow groupies and point out one person or two people, you're always in a better position. I mean, a lot of times, and this strategy doesn't always work, of course. Sometimes, No, of course not, yeah. Sometimes people are just like, okay, well, let's kill the weak guy. But yeah. a lot of times people are like, oh, well, I'm not going to worry about that guy because this other dude over here is really scary. Right. So I'm going to take care of him, and I have time to deal with this other person who's mana screwed or can't seem to draw a creature or yep. just whatever reason their deck isn't like functioning that properly. And so what you can do is you can just sort of slowly you know subtly like advance your board not scary and then all of a sudden like we said last episode like adh is a lot about like all of a sudden out of nowhere you just sort of destroy everybody in one turn before anybody can really respond yeah and usually the person that's the strongest at the table isn't going to go after the weak person because you know when you're attacking unless you're vigilant you're going to leave people up for blocking and you don't want to leave people down that can't block against someone that can hurt you the most so the person you're often going to go after if you are the top dog is the other top dog yeah a lot of times that other like if there's two people that are roughly equal they're actually effectively protecting everybody else at the table because Mm -hmm. they have to be a they have to be wary of each other yeah so you know so that's one is to just look look and act weak and then slowly become strong Uh, another quote from sun tzu i like is the supreme art of war is to subdue the enemy without fighting yeah like um, acting like you have concealed strength, like projecting oh, yes. confidence. Things like when somebody casts a spell and you go, hold on, hold on, what does that do? And you sort of fiddle with your couple of blue mana yeah. and you consider countering it. You and then, you, have to and then you go, yeah, you don't have to even have a counter in your hand. In fact, I do this all the time, which is like, what is that? Mm, and you think about it and then you go, okay, it resolves. Yep. You know, and what's that say to the whole table? That says, I have a counter spell. I can choose to counter anything. In EDH, a lot of times that will mean people won't cast things at you because nobody wants to cast a spell and it doesn't do anything. Yeah, that's that's the worst. Yeah, it, so a lot of times it's it. like, I'd rather cast it at some other guy just so that the effect happens. Yeah, or it's like, I'm not going to play my giant bomb now because I'm going to wait for him to use it on someone else. And, that's, and at that point, too, usually in Commander, if you're going, 
if I don't have to play my bomb, it's a great thing because you're not, you know, you can also appear a slightly weaker Correct. and have, have that Correct. guy go after someone else. But it's all about bluffing. Bluffing is great. Yep. Bluffing perceived strength. I remember one game I won with a Jaleva deck just because I had a cryptic command mm-hmm. in my hand mm-hmm. and I threatened everyone that was trying to attack me with anything. It's like, well, you're going to attack me with their army. I'll just tap them all down with cryptic command. As a result, I went four rounds holding this card in my hand and never casting it but i essentially had cast it every single time someone decided not to do something against yeah, me. yeah that's the power of having it in your hand but not using it is yeah. you actually effectively use it whenever mm-hmm. it 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 like Stops thwarts aggression that's coming towards you yeah so yeah that's a brilliant use you know you can do this with removal spells with counter spells board wipes you know all kinds of effects you can just sort of you don't use them you just threaten to yeah. use them you just say i have the bomb and yeah i will push the button so are you sure you want to come at me maybe you want to go at somebody else yeah and a exactly. lot of times they go i'll go at somebody else i'll go at someone else yeah, yeah it's like fine i'll take you know and, and a lot of times if the deck is strong enough the person will go i'll take care of you later and you just hope that you can get to the point where they can't actually take care of you i think Nevermall's disc is a great example of this yep. because you can activate it at instant speed once you get a full round and gets untapped and it could be in response to anything and you get and to it choose goes in any deck because it's an artifact. Yep, exactly. Yeah, and it destroys all. What Navinrol's disc is is an artifact you put on the table, and then it comes into play tapped. Mm-hmm. But then uh, once it's untapped, you can sacrifice it and with you one just, mana. I yeah, believe. with one mana, and you destroy all artifacts, enchantments, and creatures. Just full wipe, yep. including itself. It'll yep. hurt you as well, but it's an incredible reset button. It's the biggest red button at the table ever because <laughs> everyone sits there and goes, "Well, do I want to play my creatures or wait until it pops in? Then you know, I'll still have a hand to play." Yeah. And but if I have creatures on the table, do I want to attack him? Because then he's just going to pop it, and yep. it's like, well, maybe I can get some damage on somebody else. Yeah. It's, a, it's it's a big red button. Yeah. If you think about it, though, they're only going to ideally pop it when things are completely dire for them, or they it's in the best situation for them. Yeah. I know a lot of play groups. What happens if somebody puts that out is if there's just sort of an agreement that everybody starts attacking that person until they pop it off. Until they pop it off. Yeah. Otherwise, they just got the table by the. They got the table by the throat. <laughs> <laughs> the throat, exactly. The throat. They have the table by the throat. That's, exactly. That's what I meant to say all along. <laughs> okay, so uh, another table image. Well, let me start with a Sun Tzu quote. He says, appear weak when you are strong and strong when you are weak. Oh, nice. So sometimes showing a lot of board strength, like casting out your creatures and just having more creatures than most people. Playing a deck with Kalia as yeah. the commander yep. <laughs> is appearing strong when you potentially could have the worst hand in the world. Exactly. Nobody knows. But that can you can sort of promise swift retribution to anyone who comes at you. You can be like, yeah. listen, I've got this stuff on the table. Anybody who does anything to me, that stuff's coming at you. Yeah, exactly. Especially if you have, like, for instance, your deck's with a guy that can has death touch and can deal one damage to one thing. Yeah, if you have some, if you have some sort you of... You know, there's all sorts of great removal, like... Uh, um, assassin what's his royal name? assassin royal assassin yeah, yeah. it's yeah. a great card that just sits there and everyone goes well i'm not gonna tap anything pastor <laughs> <laughs> so that is this is a dangerous uh strategy i have to say it can be effective but just remember i'd say usually the person in the lead at the beginning of an each edh game mm-hmm. doesn't win because yeah. you know you're on the top of the hill and everyone's trying to pull you down and yeah. if you're the first one on top of the hill you're gonna get pulled down at some point you want to yeah. be the last one on top of the hill your likelihood of being pulled down is the greatest yeah. too because you have th- three four people against you from the very get-go but sometimes you know that's your only route to victory so mm-hmm. don't 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 completely forgo this strategy sometimes sometimes your hand's not great yeah and your best chance to sort of hold everybody off is to sort of bluster to sort of look scary when you're maybe not yeah exactly and i think the one of the important things about appearing weak when you're strong and strong when you're weak is more just you want to conf- you don't want to confuse people, but you don't want people to know what your strength actually is ever. Mm-hmm. And that way, if someone does attack you and they're like, "All right, I'm going to do this," you're like, "All right, well, 
too bad for you. I do something in response to it. Everything dies, et cetera, et cetera. You don't want people to know what your strength is because once they do, then they, they can gauge whether or not they want to engage you much better. Right. All so, of warfare is deception. Deception, indeed. Okay, so another quote from Sun Tzu that covers another table enemy strategy is, the wise warrior avoids the battle. Ooh, very zen. Mm-hmm. The wise warrior just meditates. The wise warrior just <laughs> meditates. So I think there's actually a deck in EDH that doesn't exist in any other um, format, and it's what's called the group hug deck. Yeah. This it is, definitely doesn't exist in yeah. any other format. Yeah, couldn't, I guess, there's in a no, one-on-one yeah, format. There's no group hugging. This is a deck that's sort of built to sort of buy friends, if you will, or mm-hmm. make friends. It's yeah. like, oh, I'm going to play these cards that may help other people draw cards yeah. or give other people mana. Or Here's buff, Howling Mine. Yes, or buff other people's creatures. You know, yeah. it's, 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 it's like, oh, I'm friendly. I'm actually just helping everybody else. Yeah, what's that spectral searchlight that was in Conspiracy and was reprinted? Yeah, exactly. You uh, tap it, and uh, you can give one mana of any color to any player. Including, including yourself. yourself. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But, you know, you could be like, oh, you want, oh you, you're mana screwed. You need one green mana. I'll give it to you. Yeah, you just don't attack me. Yeah, exactly. You can buy friends. Yeah, this is politics easily. at its finest. This is really like lobbying. Yeah, you know exactly. It's, it's you're just like, oh, you're powerful, you're powerful. I'll make friends with everybody, and mm-hmm. then you know you guys attack each other, and then when the when the dust clears, then I'll clean it up. Yeah, exactly. But you have to be careful with this too, because you know someone that's more in tune will realize like, hold on, this guy's just buying friends left and right, and will do their best to actively stop it too, which is always something to be wary of. And everybody knows that they've got to kill everybody else eventually. So they're yep. always like, I like eventually I'm gonna have to take care of that guy. Yeah. But you just you know you hope you just haven't quite given him enough rope to hang you. You know. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you and- give him a little bit but not a lot and oftentimes I, i'll never promise someone's past one turn you know i can't be like all right i won't attack you forever it's yeah like, i'll give you a turn that's rare you know and then we can talk about the next time it comes around but sometime if somebody's almost dead though and you save them you're like listen you're gonna die yeah i'll save you but what that means is like you have to attack that person for the rest of the game and then once they're dead fine but yeah like, exactly and i'll make that deal happily if i'm the buyer that's about to die because yeah i'm either gonna die or i'm gonna keep playing magic yeah and i think the prospect of being third place or second place you know it's, it's like i'd rather better. be second it's a little bit better. <laughs> and there's always those people at the table it's like hey at least i beat you right yeah. i don't like that guy but he has a point <laughs> he did beat me yeah exactly <laughs> um there's a quote actually from another um another uh, author that i really like nikolai machiavelli who wrote yeah. the prince and on the question of, is it better to be feared or loved? This comes up at the table a lot. Yeah. And he says, the answer is that one would like to be both, but because it is difficult to combine them, it's much safer to be feared than loved. And the the reasoning for this is that because if you make a commitment in time of peace, it's not always kept when there's adversity. Yeah. But if you make a commitment out of fear, They're well, kept. then later it will be kept out of fear. Yep. Correct. So... You know, group hug is another strategy. I think it's a little bit difficult, you know, sometimes. It's difficult. You need to build a deck that's group huggy that can also have win conditions is the big one. You know, you need to – it's – group hug is more – ultimately, I think the best group hug is deceiving people into not attacking you because you're giving them so much and then using what you're giving them to destroy them. Yeah, and you can also have things in your deck still that, like – I, I'm giving you this stuff, but if you turn around and come at me, I'm going to destroy yeah. that creature, or I'm going to wipe the whole board, or I'm going to do stuff. Exactly. Like, you still want to have, you know, them be scared of you on some level, you know. can't just be like, oh, that guy's happy-go-lucky, he's destroying everybody's cards, and he can never, ever harm me, so I can just attack him whenever I want. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you, you always have to, uh, you know, appear strong when you're weak, right? Yeah. Okay, so uh, our next section is the politics of action. Here's a, another good Sun Tzu quote. Move not unless you see an advantage. Use not your troops unless there's something to be gained. 
fight not unless the position is critical. I see this happen very often with new players all the time. Yeah. Uh, in any format of any game ever. Yeah. They're like, well, I have this stuff. I can attack, so I'm just going to swing. Yep, I'm just going to turn my stuff sideways no matter what. Yeah. It's like, oh, boy. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow it, your roll. <laughs> especially in EDH. Like, you have to think, like, what am I getting and what is it costing me? Because there's always mm-hmm. a cost and there's sometimes a gain. There's not always a gain. Yeah. You know, the cost can be like, oh, I've got this 2-2 cat soldier token. I have it. I'm going to attack the pl- player to my left. What'd you just do there? You did two damage. That's nothing. Yeah, you just made 40. somebody mad. Yeah. You know, when they have something to attack with, which may be like an 8-8 flyer with indestructible. Yeah. You know, who or are they coming at? Probably you. Like, Unless hey, somebody you, else has done some you, damage. Yeah, exactly. Or, or, you know, it doesn't even have to be a flyer. It could be like a 12-12 on the ground. And all of a sudden, the thing that you could have chump blocked, that was a token. Nope, yep. you're taking 12 damage. Yep. So. So, you, yeah, make sure that you weigh what what your advantage is what your what the cost is going to be you know don't it's an edh very often very very often the best idea is just to not attack yeah is to not make enemies because mm-hmm. if you can't back up the enemies that you're making like if you can't actually like you know do real damage to somebody and keep yourself protected a lot of times it's not worth uh, overextending yeah it'd be like an, an actual war if two sides were at a standstill and slowly building their armies up and one side was like right, i'm just gonna toss a uh, hundred of my troops at you and it's like, all right, you lost 100 troops, and you did minimal damage, and they're the ones defending, so technically they have the advantage if they know the attack's coming. Now, there are times that you should attack if you need to. For mm-hmm, instance, with mm-hmm. my chase at Dethrone, could be very handy to get plus one, plus one counters mm-hmm. on your guys. And you can even... You have lifelink. Yeah, exactly, lifelink. I mean, you can even phrase it like, hey, look, I'm only attacking you. It's only for four damage. It's just to get plus one, plus one counters on you. I'm not going to attack you again from this point out. But at the very same time, you're still doing damage to people. and <laughs> You just have to wait. But, the, yeah. you know, I like what you said there because there's two ways I can do it. I can attack you or I can attack you and I can say that. Yeah. Now, the outcome is the same. I still do damage to you and maybe I gain life or whatever I've got. But right. in one, it doesn't feel as bad. Yeah. So that's called <laughs> being political. It's not that you're doing anything different than you were going to do. You just couch it. You know, you just you just mm-hmm. sit, you let them know what's going on, and it doesn't feel as bad to them. And maybe they don't like hate you forever and try and kill you for the exactly. rest of the game. You know, and maybe they do, maybe they don't. It's just a way that you can do it. Another way people use, um, I see a lot, is they sort of assign everybody a number at the table and then they roll a dice. Right. You know, and that's another way to make it feel like, hey, listen, I have to attack because I'm getting some sort of advantage from it. But you know, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. So yeah, I'm just exactly. letting I'm just letting chance decide who it is. And mm-hmm. and you know, when you're the guy that's like your number comes up, it doesn't feel as bad. And yeah, you sure. know, so I may not just go right after that person for the rest of the game again because it's like, eh, you know, they were just they had to attack because mm-hmm. they needed to get some advantage. Yeah. You know, from their creature requires attacking. Yeah. Although you can take the opposite stand if you're the player that got hit. And I like <laughs> to take the stand a lot, which is like, I don't care the reason. If you attack me, you're attacking me. Yep. You can say whatever you want. You did damage to me. So you're now my enemy. Yeah. So do you want to make me your enemy or not? Or even so, like, I will f- I will get retribution. I will yeah. ping you back for the same amount yeah. at some point. Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah. It's definitely interesting. Uh, I, I like the dice rolling technique. You know, we have four players mm-hmm. at the table. You're one, two. This person is three and four. And the last person is five and six. You roll dice. All right. You're going to swing at that person, and they're going to have to take the damage. Uh, I, I also like it because... <laughs> It, it is it really puts interesting things into play it's like well technically you're going to want to attack the person that can do the least damage to you in return mm-hmm. but 
At the same time, you're not going to win this game by just killing one person and having everyone else look at you. The best way to win, it's more of attrition in the beginning. You mm-hmm. know, you need to lower everyone else to the point where you have a comfortable enough lead life-wise that you can take out multiple opponents in one turn. Right. So doing that is actually nice. You can equalize the board in terms of where everyone's life is at, and yours is hopefully higher than everyone else's. It's dangerous, though, because if you roll those dice like three or four times, now you've hit every single person at the table, and it's like, uh-oh. Instead of, yep. instead of, you might have been better. Like, if that, that can work for one or two dice rolls. I think if you're going to attack with that guy, you know, f- four, five, six times, now you're just, you've taken huge chunks from every person yeah. at the table. And no one's going to be happy. Now, all of a sudden, like, you just made three people come at you pretty hard. Right. You know, you're never going to win that. Not never, but it's going to be tough to win that game. Yeah. What started off as a fun, like, oh, I have a uh, 33% chance of getting picked, turns into, great, this is the sixth time he's done it. Yeah. I do not want to win this lottery ever. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to kill, <laughs> try and kill you. I don't even care if I win. Yeah, exactly. I'm just coming at you. Yeah, and, and you know, that's actually something to be worried about, too, in, in EDH, is there are wild cards. There, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about this later, about different kinds of players and play groups, but yeah, you, you want to be careful. You never know what's going to happen, both in the cards and from the player. Okay, so another Sun Tzu quote. When you engage in fighting, if victory is long in coming, then men's weapons will grow dull and their spirit will be dampened. If you lay siege to a town, you will exhaust your strength. What this means is, in general, don't don't commit your forces unless you know victory can be swift. Yep. Like small gains don't do you very much good and they open you up. Neither does a long war where both players lose a lot of creatures. Yeah. You in know? fact, if you're if there's four people playing and two guys are just going at each other, just throwing everything at each other, the other two guys are like, "Sweet, sweet. Let's Thank just you. let's just sit here." Yeah. Like I'm just going to gather cards in my hands, play out a few threats, but I'm mostly just going to let those guys cuz whoever wins that thing, they're only going to be at a few health and we'll just Yeah. I'll I'll fireball you. Yeah, I'll just, you know, just, we'll just finish that guy off and then decide <laughs> it between the two of us. Like Yeah, exactly. It's like, "Oh, you're at 2 life. I happen to be at 36." All right, let's play. Okay, it doesn't matter yeah. how strong your board is. At that point, so many things can kill you. You'll, you'll be killed by what I like to call splash damage. Yep, exactly. Where, like, you know, like you're, even if you're just watching, stuff that's just happening in the world is going to smack you in the face a couple <laughs> of times, and that could be enough. Yep, exactly. So I think that's uh, it's good on it's good to know on both sides. Like, you know, it, don't start committing forces yeah. to an all-out attack on somebody unless you know you can win pretty fast. And if you see other people doing that, let them do it. Don't get involved. Just mm-hmm. let them go at each other. Just clean up, you know, whoever's, like, deeply wounded at the end and, and limping away from the battle, then you yeah. finish them off. Yeah, and at that point, you're actually able to make an ally out of them, being like, hey, you're going to die next turn? Yeah. All right, I'll make sure you get second place. Yeah, exactly. And then they can attack the other guy for you, and all yeah. of a sudden, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like how you think, Jim. Yeah, honestly, though, anything that gives someone a glimmer of hope as to, it's like, wait, I get to live another turn, they look at their cards in their hand, and they're like, I'll take it. Yeah. Because you never know. You know, things could happen in that turn. Hopefully not, but things can always happen. Exactly. Um... Another Sun Tzu quote. The rising of birds into flight is a sign of an ambush. Startled beasts indicate a sudden attack is coming. So, okay. What this means is that you need to learn to predict who's sort of an imminent threat to you and mm-hmm. who is not. Yeah. This is where sort of poker tells come in. Definitely. Yeah. Um, I've noticed at the table, like, you can tell, like, there's five players at the game, but one player is sort of looking at your cards a lot. Yeah. You know, he might be sitting across from you. He might be sitting to your right. But for, for some reason, when it's not their turn, they're sort of looking at their cards and then looking at your cards on the table, <laughs> you know, and then they sort of look around, but they keep coming back to your yeah. cards. 
if they're eyeballing your stuff, they're coming at you pretty soon. Yeah, exactly. And they're well, ex- literally, what exactly is going on in their head is like, okay, I tap for this, and then he'll have to block with that. Yes, they're exactly. Calculating the moves, they're they're trying to do the four moves ahead, see if they can come out on top. Exactly. And if they're looking at your stuff while they do it, yeah, dude, they're coming at you. So get ready. Like, yeah, you, exactly. Maybe you need like you need to preemptively strike at them. Yeah. To 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 sort of fool their plans before they really get hatched yeah exactly or direct someone else at them and this is where just general knowledge of the game helps out a lot and general knowledge of the colors and color combinations too mm-hmm. you know knowing what you know if it's a red deck you know there's going to be something with haste in there um and actually that applies to a lot of decks if there's a swift of boots on the table you can guarantee that he, if he casts something that costs one less than to equip it that thing is going to potentially swing next turn mm-hmm. so you can actually look at the table and gauge who was a threat based on what's on the table but you should also you should also always be looking at the colors you know if a prosh deck is there and he can cast prosh next turn something bad might happen you know it's the ability to to do damage and wreak havoc is there mm-hmm. so keeping a note of that is also really important yeah i think um they, just the other day we're playing right and everyone's you know attacking each other in a normal fashion and one player has like 10 zero one kobolds on the right. table that's I'm it like okay. just 10 zero one kobolds there's zero ones so everyone's just sort of ignoring this guy and then i notice him start to look around and it's like oh crap you know and then it's his turn and what's he do he drops a coat of arms yep all his dudes yep. plus become one, plus yeah. one for each other creature type that so they all become with. like nine tens or whatever then he yeah. puts 10 more kobolds out they're all 1920s and he just kills everybody yep and that's it's like yeah, that's swift justice. Yep, exactly. And it's like we should have known that a turn or two before because yeah. he was eyeball. He was looking around and and like sort of his lips were moving, but no sound was coming out. That's <laughs> that's like he's calculating. He's yeah, doing exactly. Math in his yeah, head. you can see the numbers flying yeah. past his eyes. Yeah. Uh, at that point, he didn't even have to have numbers in his eyes. Having twenty nineteen twenties is enough to kill everyone <laughs> at the same time. But we should have seen it coming, and we yeah. could have easily killed those kobolds. But yep. you know, we were just so worried about other things. So well, yeah, pay also, attention. Yeah, pay attention. Also, you know, sometimes people will do things that don't seem like a big threat if he had eight if he had 10 literal kobolds of care keep cards out yeah. right then we look at him and be like oh my goodness instead he has just a single die with That's a number true. on it he has one card with a, a die on top of it yeah you know that just looks less scary than like 10 Much cards less. laid out even though they're equivalent yeah not to mention the point. art for that card is just ridiculous so it doesn't <laughs> seem threatening ever really <laughs> <laughs> they look like little children yeah they are they're just having a nice time um okay another sun Tzu quote um he who wishes to fight must first count the cost. I think we covered this a little bit, but if you have to ask yourself, if you're going to attack, how much are you leaving yourself open? Yeah. Not just to the person you're attacking, but to the people you aren't attacking. Yeah. You're engaged in a world war. You know, yes. there are multiple countries at stake here, and they're all different powers and all different strengths, and they all have all different things that they can do. You have to be worried about everyone, you know, unless you're making allies everywhere. But even then, you know, the only person you can trust at the end of the day is yourself. Yeah, don't trust your allies 100%. Ever. Trust them, you know, depending 60%, 70%. But don't ever trust them 100%. They will turn on you. Yeah. Okay, so um, another quote. When we are near, we must make the enemy believe we are far away. Ah. So this is sort of the opposite of the poker tell thing yeah that, this is like ha- don't have tells yourself just don't have tells really yeah so so if <laughs> except you're, for maybe touching your man when you want to counter something yeah no that's a tell that you want everybody to pick exactly. up exactly but if you're actually literally able to kill everyone next turn be really careful yeah. you know don't eyeball their cards and mouth you know silent <laughs> math 
you know, to yourself. Don't, don't start counting. Yeah. You know, if I if I listen and I hear somebody going like 19, 20, 27, <laughs> 27, I don't want to hear the number 27. That's never ever. a good number. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to hear anything above like four. I don't want to see someone looking at my cards and silently counting them with yeah. their fingers. Either. It's like, he's got five guys up. It's like, that's the last thing you want to see. <laughs> yeah. So inversely uh, or conversely, don't do that yourself. Like if you've got to yeah. lay these plans, just be sly about it because then no one will see it coming. Yeah. And, and too often have I seen, uh, probably Craig, to be honest, have just the biggest sheepish grin on his yeah. face and it's like great craig uh, wins there's an or infinite combo is, coming yeah, or something or someone's gonna die <laughs> sun Tzu says let your plans be dark and impenetrable as night and when you move fall like a thunderbolt ah yes yes so that i think so that, play red right <laughs> thunderbolt perfect anyway okay so um let's talk about knowing your play group yeah yeah i so, like this quote a lot this is maybe the most famous quote go ahead if you know your enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. So that's pretty self-explanatory. Like, learn the personalities in your playgroup. Yeah. You know, there's always going to be people... People aren't going to change their personalities from game to game. Like, there's mm-hmm. going to be people who are open to negotiating and people who really aren't. There's going to yeah. be people who just like to be aggressive. They just like to attack. Yeah. There's going to be people who don't like to attack at all, ever. You know, and learn who those people are. And then you can learn the best way to sort of manipulate them into the situations that you want. Yeah, exactly. You, know, you can appeal to the parts of their personality that help you the most, you know, in any given situation. So if somebody's really aggressive and they don't like to and they don't like to form alliances, then don't try and form alliances with them. Try and get them pointed at somebody else. Yeah, right. They're a giant cannon they're about to blow, just you know, Yep. Just don't look scary. Direction. Exactly. Yeah. But if somebody is really scary, but they, you know, usually they're open to like forming alliances and they're mm-hmm. pretty trustworthy from past games, you know, you know that about the personality, then that's a person that you can form an alliance with. Yeah. And you can be like, exactly. hey, listen, I've got this uh, sorts of postures, but I won't use it. Yeah. You know, because I know you want to kill this other guy. So we'll just, just don't look in my direction. I won't look mm-hmm. in yours and everybody be cool. Right. And yeah. And, and one thing, work. I, one thing I found is really effective is you're allowed to speak out of turn in yeah. EDH. You know, something's happening. The guy puts his hand in his head. It's like I can't do anything about that. Can anyone do anything about that? You shoot your hand up if you want <laughs> and be like, I have an answer for that. This is what I want. Yep. You know, or like I can maybe do something about that. What can you do for me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all about negotiating. And, and uh, my favorite pers- player personality by far is uh, I call it the Clint, which is just the wild card. Yeah, there's always a chaotic neutral. Yeah, chaotic neutral or just chaotic chaotic, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> concerned where, where it's just you know what I'm just going to go all out and do a full swing on you. I don't care if I die next turn. And oftentimes, chaotic neutral just makes it to second place. Yeah, because they're not really a threat because you can't predict where they're going to go. Exactly. Yeah. That just means if I think if somebody's that type of player, if they're within reach of killing you, you just have to kill them because you can't trust yeah, that they you can't won't. Trust them, yeah. that, do- that doesn't mean they will. doesn't mean they won't. You just can't negotiate with that person. So, you know, just know that and you have to handle them correctly. Yeah. You know, that doesn't mean that that person is ruining the game or anything. They're just another different kind of obstacle that you have to learn how to deal with. Yeah. You know, that's another type of thing that I think Spikes complain about is like the, what they call the kingmaker aspect of the game. It's like a right. person who can't win, but they can decide who wins. It feels like that. Yeah. But that's your fault if you're allowing them to decide who wins because you're not you're not exercising your skill as a negotiator, yeah. as a manipulator. You have just as much power as the next person. Exactly. Put words in people's heads. Exactly. You have to use your cunning and and your and your use of you know your charisma or whatever yeah. to get them to not attack you. And if they mm-hmm. do, then you have to take responsibility for that. You know, Correct. you did something through the game or you acted in some way and they chose you over the other person. 
you know, and, and so next game, what can you do differently? Or even that same game, what can you change up? Yeah. You know, you're like, all right, well, if I am the king, then I'm going to start making kingly decisions because I have the power to exert over my minions. Correct. You know, you, you have whatever power is on your board and whatever power you conceal. And it's and up whatever to you power to, the other players grant you. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's really the most important part is being able to be a big threat or being able to say, like, hey, this person's a huge threat. I don't have any removal spells. You could have four removal spells in your hand. Can someone get rid of this card? And they use their resources, and they use their stuff. And it's like, well, thank you, uh, friendly neighbor nation that has fought my war for me. That is the best feeling in the world is when you don't use any of your mana, you don't use any of your cards, Mm -hmm. you just use your words, and somebody else uses their mana and their cards to get rid of something that you really wanted to get rid of. Exactly. Maybe maybe you guys both needed to be getting rid of, right? Uh Maybe it's really bad. It's Elish Norn. It's giving everyone minus two, minus two. Yep but it affects you much more than the guy next to you. But that guy gets rid of it for you. Oh, perfect situation. Uh, That is really, I'd say, quintessentially, like, that skill is super important to EDH. Is like, using your influence, using your politics to get things accomplished that you would otherwise have to use mana and cards for. Yeah. Emil, if you play EDH right, you have, essentially, everyone else's deck at your disposal to a certain degree. Right. You know? Yeah, I think that's actually the next point, which is, you know, pay attention to the cards and decks in your meta. And, you know, what their most important components are and, you know, yeah. what other things they have. This is a this is like doing your homework because this allows you to do things like point out when someone else is about to do something dangerous. Right. Like if Niv-Mizzet hits the table and you know, man, there's an Ophidian Eye in that deck. So that could be an infinite combo loop that we can't cards, break yeah. if, he, if he lands it. And so you just, if you don't know about that combo, it's hard for you to point it out. But if you yeah. know, you can be like, guys... That card right there, infinite combo possibility that destroys us all next turn. Yeah. So can anybody kill that thing? Or I, leave a counter up. Yeah. You know, can anyone at least have a response yeah. if this does happen? Because we will literally all lose if he happens to have that card in mm-hmm. his hand. You know, if you don't know about that combo possibility, you can't you can't even say the thing because you don't you know you don't know what to look out for and what to point exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's a great learning experience too. It's like you can piece together what other people are doing the more you know about their cards. And the more you play commander, the more you'll know obviously. But you need to when you read someone else's card, don't just put it away being like, cool, okay, the next time it happens, I'm going to need to read it again. Yeah. <laughs> Try know? and think about, yeah. And, and you know, this goes for, like, when you get beat. Because it's Commander. You're going to get beat. People are going to do big, broken stuff. Yep. They're going to, you know, pull out their infinite combo on you. Don't get mad. You're trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Your deck is trying to do some big, broken combo, whether it's infinite or not. It's trying to do something, you know, trying to abuse something that wasn't necessarily meant to be abused. And when they do that, be like, man... That was cool. Now, let me remember what cards that took so yeah. I, that I can stop you from doing it next mm-hmm. time. But don't get mad. Infinite combos are cool. You're trying to do stuff like that. Yeah, right? Yeah, just try and remember it for future so that you can stop it or you can put cards in your deck to stop it. Right. Or you can at least point it out to the other players at the table like, it's about to happen. We need the four of us to right. team up and stop it. Or you could do all that and then put them into your own deck so yeah. that you have the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Why not? <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Um, another thing is if somebody plays something dangerous or even that just looks dangerous and isn't you can use it to deflect aggression from you onto them make plays bigger than they actually are if you have to someone just plays a soul ring it's like uh, oh uh, man dude soul ring turn one come on dude none of us have a soul ring seriously target on your back yeah exactly he's gonna be like two turns ahead of everybody i mean he could play pelucranos next turn what are we gonna do about that yeah guys we have to get rid of it yeah just just anyone just do any artifact destruction it's just one card it's fine and at least he'll put us on the even playing ground so let's wrap this uh, main topic up. The um, EDH is pretty unique. You yeah. know, it's, it's unique in that your resources 
are doubled or whatever because it's not just cards in your hand. It's it's those aren't the only answers you have to your opponents. You know, normally yeah. normally they play something, it's one on one, they play something and I have to look at my hand and be like, Okay, either I have answers in my hand or I don't have any answers. But in EDH, you can look at the other players around you as well. And yep. chances are, you know, if you're currently losing the game, you're not the only one. Yeah, you're definitely not the only one. In fact, everyone's losing the game at the same time, except for one person usually. Uh, and as we wrap this up, there's one thing I wanted to mention, which is, and we, we, we might do a whole podcast on this later, but the friends that you play with are, are very important because they're your friends and they're the ones that are going in on this commitment to play Magic and EDH with you at the same time. So don't do anything that's going to ultimately destroy your, your play group. You know, don't be that guy that's like, I'm going to go online and Google most broken EDH combos and then just whip all those out, you know, because that's not going to win you any friends outside of the game either. <laughs> I mean, you could do it. You're, yeah, oh, it's yeah, yeah, only going to work once or twice, you know, and then literally like everyone is just going to attack you at the start of every game and you're going to be sitting there yeah. complaining, being like, why did they gang up on me? Yeah, well, exactly. you brought it upon yourself. Yeah, I, I think, you know, also like your gaming group is something that, you know, you need to cultivate, you need to, you know, communicate with, you yeah. need to, you know, continue to, you know, you need to treat it like something that needs... You know, uh, it's a commitment. It needs yeah. to be it needs sun and water. And, yes, exactly. You know, good nurturing, and you know, people are going to get upset sometimes. People want to win the game. You know, yeah. there's politics. They're going to feel betrayed. You know, you said you weren't going to attack me, then you attacked me. You know, stuff like that. And just make sure that after the game, you separate those moments. You know, there's been yeah. some times in our play group where like people got kind of mad. You know, you have a table lock on the table because of counter spells or Glenelendra or some other stuff. And then you know, we've been real careful after the game to be like, hey man, you know. I was upset during the game, but, you know, it's cool. Like, yeah, I totally get it. Like, make sure you have those conversations. Don't let everybody just walk away and be pissed, you know, and maybe not come back next time or so next time. Just let them know. Like, hey, give them beer or, you know, if you're not over 21, don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) Give them a Coke. And And play another game. Play another game and just talk it out. Just be like, hey, yeah, that was. And, you know, when somebody does something to you and you were upset about it, you know, when when everybody's shuffling up for the next game or they're putting all their cards away and they're going home, you know, think, sit and think about it for a second. Then go up to the dude and be like, you know what? That combo you pulled off, that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. You know, I was. Combos are pretty cool. Yeah, in I, I like to like think of it from their perspective. Yeah. You know, if I, if I build a deck, like I'm excited. Like I built this thing, and I I came up with this idea. Like, man, if I ever get these four cards out, I'm just gonna wipe the whole table. Like yep. this is gonna be awesome. And they finally do it, and people get mad at them. And it's like, come on, man, they, you're looking to do the exact same exactly. thing with your deck. Yeah, go up to them and be like, you know what? Yeah. That four card infinite combo that just killed everybody on turn, you know, twelve or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That was awesome. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was awesome. I want. I wish my deck would do the same thing. It didn't yeah. this game, but maybe next game. And ultimately you're going to lose a lot more games of edh than you're going to win so just if you keep that mentality in mind don't get you know don't get your feelings hurt if you lose still try and win every try game, and but win, when yeah. you don't don't get too upset yeah and this is something of course you can talk to your friend group or two because if someone's just running a three thousand dollar deck and it's just devastating everyone even if you do target him he's still winning like You'd be like, hey, man, can you turn it down? <laughs> like, for the I, sake of your friends. I want to see the deck. I haven't seen one yet that if... It, I think in a group of three or less, mm-hmm. that could happen. I think in a group of four or more. Yeah. And that that variance. could be the answer. Like, here's a guy who put together a really sweet deck, and you only play with three players. You know what you need to do? You need to go find another friend that plays. Yeah. And then the three of you can just gang up on that guy at the start of every game. And yeah. I don't... Maybe. Maybe there's an EDH deck out there. But I think generally that would just mean that the three of you need to work on your decks. Yeah. If they can't be that one guy. Because even with, like, so-so cards, three decks should be able to beat one yeah. most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At the end of the day, communication is key. Make sure you guys are talking to each other. Make sure you don't just let bad feelings simmer around until they, you know, you don't want to sack out your friendships with people. <laughs> I like that. I mean, don't do it. I like don't that. do it. I like yeah. that wording. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so Commander Spotlight this Let's week. Talk. 
We're going to do Rune of the Hidden Realm. Yeah, he's a Commander 2013 uh, Commander. He came in the sets that were released last year. Mm-hmm. He is a Bant creature, so he's white, blue, and green, and he costs two colorless on top of that. So a total casting cost of five for a 4-4 Vigilance Trample. And what does he do? You tap two mana, and you tap Rune, and it says, Exile another target creature. Return that creature to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So... Let's talk about how this works. For one, you can target your own creatures, or you can target someone else's creatures. As long as they don't have hexproof. Correct. If they have hexproof, they can't be targeted. Um, and what it does is it, it exiles them temporarily until the end step. Right. And if you're new to the game, you might be thinking, what the heck is the point of this? You just He's like flying away to another realm and coming back? What? what I don't get it. Why, why would you ever do that to a creature? There's a couple reasons. One is if someone attacks you with a creature... This will cancel out the damage. You do the exiling before the damage is dealt. Mm-hmm. And so that creature goes away to the nether realm or wherever, and it pops back in at the next end step. And when it pops back in, it says if, if it was just cast. Yep. So it's untapped. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, no other harm has been done to it. So it's, it's good not on something defense. sick if, yeah. it's, it's, if it's already been cast the prior turn, though. Uh, well, it would be technically, but it's coming into the end step, so right. it doesn't matter. Right. Um, so that is a powerful effect on defense. It also can be used to uh to sort of double up what we call enter the battlefield effects right or uh on or comes into play comes into play effects so if you've got a creature let's just say acidic slime acidic slime lets you kill a non-creature permanent yeah target artifact enchantment or land correct oh artifact or enchantment or land so not a planeswalker either so what you do is you play the acidic slime you destroy an artifact enchantment or land and then you use rune on him and he goes out of play and he comes back at the end step and then you destroy another enchantment mm-hmm. artifact or land that's very powerful with uh, uh enter the battlefield yeah. effects also doing this can actually be a form of removal against mm-hmm. counters on creatures and as well as tokens correct when tokens are exiled they don't go to a mysterious realm and come back they sort of fizzle into thin air and if your guy has counters on them when he comes back any plus one plus one counters or minus one minus one counters gone. are now gone correct so it's sort of hitting the reset button on a creature um, which can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Also, if they have enchantments on them, those enchantments are gone. Right. Um, so if somebody's... Contra- Artifacts become unequipped. Correct. So there's a lot of uses uh, for the flicker effect. Um, one thing I want to point out it do- is it does say... Uh, it says, exile another target creature, return that creature to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So owner's right. control. So... If someone has stolen one of your creatures with a control magic mm-hmm. or any other effect that takes that creature, you can flicker it out with rune. You can tap two. We call it flickering when they leave the battlefield and come back. Yeah, it's like turning the light on and off. Yep. So you can exile it with rune, and it'll come back under play under its owner's control. So whoever owns that card, whoever bought and paid for that card or traded for it right. or whatever, gets it back. So this is a way to sort of give back permanents that have otherwise been stolen. Yeah. But also, if you've stolen somebody else's creature... Don't flicker it. <laughs> don't flicker it, because that'll give it back to them. Unless there's something that is very conditional. But for the most part, yeah. And also, um, you can use this as sort of a group hug style thing, where somebody, let's say, player B, stole mm-hmm. player C's uh, creature, and you're it's neither of them are your creatures, and neither of them... You, know, you didn't do the stealing, and you didn't yep. get stolen from. But it doesn't matter. You can be like, hey, dude, you want your creature back? Yeah. What are you going to do for me? Yep. You know, you can you can make those kind of deals. It's good to have effects on the battlefield that you if you choose to, you don't have to, but if you choose to, you can use it to help other people. You can also yeah. like somebody's attacking somebody else that's not you and it's like going to do a lot of damage and maybe kill them. You can be like 
I can you know save what? you. I can save you, yeah. yeah I'll so, switch them out. I'll yeah, get room for a turn. If I save you, you know, will you just go at them with everything you got next turn? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You can also use it uh, not just when someone's attacking you, but when you're defending someone and you want your creature to die. And it hasn't entered the battlefield effect. It's like, mm-hmm. all right, well, I'll assign him as a blocker. Before combat damage is assigned, he gets flickered out. I don't take any damage. He comes back in, and I get the added bonus of whatever that card is. And your guy's tapped out. That is a great. That's a great uh, point. Okay, so fun let's, little mechanics. It's to take flicker. Of. Flicker is really fun. Well, let's talk about some mechanics to abuse here. So, right. uh, enter the battlefield creatures with enter the battlefield, or what we call one eight seven creatures. So creatures that kill other creatures when they come into play. Um, <laughs> uh, so I haven't on, heard that before. Yeah, on that line, uh, we've got what's called the duplicant. Yes, Duplicant is one of my favorite uh, artifact creatures. He's a six drop that when he comes into the battlefield, you can exile target permanent, and then Duplicant sort of basically becomes a soft copy of it. It doesn't gain the abilities on it, but it gets the power toughness and the creature types. Correct. It, it only exiles a, a, a non-token creature. Non-tokens, right. This is a great card because exile is very powerful. Yeah, you don't want to be exiling tokens with Duplicant anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You could just exile it with Rune, flicker it out, and they don't come back. Yep, forever. Yeah, so... Yeah, Duplicant's amazing. Yeah. Uh, anytime I can find a way to recur him, it I, I do it every time because it's incredible. It's spot removal. You can just put him into play for a relatively cheap cost for what he's doing, mm-hmm. and you get a creature, and you get to just, just exile something big and nasty and destructive. And you can just do it again and again because as long as Duplicant's out on the table and you have a way to flicker him, you're just offing a creature you know, mm-hmm. every turn or so. So yeah. it's super powerful. Plus, yeah, he actually can get bigger depending on what it is, and it's exile. Yep. You know, that's that's really powerful. You can even get rid of Avacyn, you know, who's indestructible with that. So Yeah, you can actually do anything that's indestructible, yeah. really, with that. Yeah, um, the only thing you couldn't touch is Hexproof stuff again, because it is targeted. Correct. Yeah, and uh, also there are cards that have Leave the Battlefield effects that are really effective. Yeah. Not I, as many as Enter the Battlefield effects. But Leave the Battlefield can actually be even more effective, because if you read Rune, it says it brings the creature back during the next end step. Mm-hmm. So you can't time it specifically. So if your creature was, say, um, Acidic Slime and you wanted to get rid of one of their lands, mm-hmm. you'd have to wait till their end step to get rid of it. It wouldn't do it at the moment that you flickered it. It'd do it at the moment that the creature comes back into play. Right. But if you have, say, let's say, uh, Nevermaker, when Nevermaker leaves play, put target non-land permanent on top of its owner's library. So that's at the moment that you flicker it, when it goes out, not when it comes in. Mm-hmm. So you can actually do this at a crucial moment you know, you need. They're about. They attack you, and they have an artifact that's giving all their creatures. Let's say it's making all their kobolds into nineteen twenties. Right, coat of arms. Yes. So they attack you full out. Well, what do you do? You 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 flicker your nevermaker out. It leaves play, and you take the coat of arms, which is the artifact. Yep. And you put that on top of their library, and now all their creatures are back down to zero ones. Yeah. And they have to draw it again. Yeah. They know what card they're going to draw next turn, then they're inevitably probably going to play it. Yeah. But it gave you a turn. If you had a Cidic slime in that same spot it doesn't help you because correct you can remove acidic slime from the game you're going to take a gajillion damage yeah and then you're not even going to be alive during your end step for him to come back in and kill that coat of arms yeah exactly so look for leave the battlefield effects uh thrag tusk is another good one right thrag tusk is awesome because he actually gives you both so when he enters the battlefield he gives you five life and when he leaves the battlefield he gives you a three three yeah exactly so what you do is you get if you do that three or four times you've gained 15 or 20 life and, and gotten a like a bunch of beasts bunch of beasts so it Anything that does both has a leave the battlefield and enter the battlefield yeah. effect is super powerful. Uh, including Angel of Serenity. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Which is a lot of fun because you can use this also defensively. If someone has Angel of Serenity, one of your favorite guys, and you need him this turn, well, you know what? I'm going to just, during my turn, use Rune to pop him out. I get those cards back. 
Correct. And now can actually use them again. Yep. But also you can use your own Angel Serenity and it's it doesn't exile them, but it pops them back to their hand when she leaves play. Yep. So if you have a way to repeatedly flicker her out, you can just start popping everybody's creatures three at a time back to their hand. It's very hard to keep up with that. Yeah, exactly. You just don't have enough mana to keep playing all your threats back out. Mm -hmm. And you're going to probably, you know, you have a good chance of winning that in short order. There's a lot of other cards with Enter the Battlefield effects. There's a ton. We're not going to go through all of them. Um, Let's talk about another kind of creature. It's what I call a creature that benefits from the owner reset. Yes. Or just resets in general. So we talked a lot about Glenelendra last uh, podcast. We won't go too deep into her, but let's just say you play out Glenelendra. You can sacrifice her to counter a spell. She comes she gets, back. She comes back with a negative one, negative one counter. You flicker her out. She comes back, and the negative one, negative one counter is gone. Yep. So she's now brand you new. can. So now you can use her again. She'll come back with a negative one, negative one counter, and you can keep doing it. So normally Glenelendra, you could just use her twice, but if you have Rune, you can use her. Uh, theoretically an infinite theoretically amount of times. Yeah. yeah. As long as someone doesn't get rid of Glenelendra. But for the most part, she can counter whatever you're trying to get rid of her with. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's not going to be a non-creature yeah. spell that, that kills her probably, yeah. you know. And it's also good to <clears> note <throat> that uh, having Glenelendra up, you know, the timing of when you use Rune is also very important because you wouldn't want to be like, all right, at the beginning of your turn, I'm going to flicker Glenelendra. It's like, all right, well, she's gone for the whole turn. You can't counter anything they do. You want to do it, you know, before end steps. Correct. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. Is the way you usually will play rune is you'll let the person go through their turn, and then they go, okay, I've passed my turn. And you go, wait, before your end step, I'm going to flicker this thing. And then during your end step, it's going to come back. So right. to the table, it doesn't really go anywhere because it's only gone for that little small instant. Right, but you get to you know reset your characters. You your get thrag to, tusk yeah, or, right, your thrag tusk or whatever. Yeah. Another creature that benefits from what we call an owner reset is the Gilded Drake. The Gilded Drake is a 3-3 flyer. It costs two mana, uh, blue and a white, or sorry, blue and a colorless. And uh, when Gilded Drake comes into play, exchange control of Gilded Drake for target creature one of your opponent controls or sacrifice Gilded Drake, which you're Mm -hmm. not going to do because that'd be stupid. So definitely not. What you do is you play it and then you say, I want your Avacyn and you can have my Gilded Drake. Have fun. Have fun. And then before the end step, you use Rune and you flicker out that Gilded Drake Comes it back comes back to play under the owner's, owner's control. control, and it's just come into play, so you can exchange it for another creature, and you go, oh, and I want your Jaleva. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, and you can take my Gilded Drake, and then at the next end step, I'll do it again. And right. if you get Gilded Drake and enough flicker effects, you can basically steal everybody's stuff at the table. You're not going to make any friends, but at that point, hopefully that's that sort of one-card turn combo that you've done that has you know, hopefully destroyed the game and yeah, lets you win it'll definitely <laughs> make it tough for you to deal with or people will just be scared like don't take my stuff okay don't attack me yeah exactly i just don't i don't even care about you i just want to get this guy because yeah. he did damage with a 2-2 cat soldier token to me earlier right or really i just <laughs> want avison because of avison yeah <laughs> um okay so another creature that 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 is really powerful with a uh, with an owner reset is the par- perplexing chimera yes i actually had rules questions about this so if you could explain this card that would be great because... okay so the perplexing chimera what it does is it sits there on the battlefield you play it out it's a 3-3 for 5 mana and it says whenever an opponent casts a spell you may exchange control of perplexing chimera and that spell if you do you may choose new targets for the spell oh wow look at that so a spell is basically any card except for a land yep so let's say they play an artifact and you don't want them to have that or you want it. You go, okay, I'm going to give you Perplexing Chimera in exchange for that. 
Nice. And you just take the artifact, and now it's it's basically all it's it's basically the same as if you cast it. Yeah, you're in control of it. Colossus. Yep. Something it's huge. Yours. Yep. Yep. It's yours. And it and even if it has hexproof, it doesn't matter because it's still a spell on the stack. It's not none of its abilities as a right. creature are, are are active yet. Right. And Perplex and Caramander never says target. Correct. So then what would normally happen is they have the perplexing chimera, and now they can do the same thing to somebody else when they cast a spell. Right. But you can use rune, and you can flicker it out, and it comes back under owner's control. So you get the perplexing chimera back. And now if anybody else casts a spell, let's say they cast a dragon, and you're like, hmm, I want that dragon. I'll trade you my perplexing chimera for it. And now you have a dragon and whatever cool artifact you stole. And then you can flicker it again. So it's very, very powerful. It makes people not want to play spells. Now, the only thing... There's yep. a few things that get rid of Perplex and Chimera. One would be like a Wrath Effect. Mm-hmm. Destroys everything. Because you can take control of the Wrath Effect and give them your Perplex and Chimera, but it doesn't matter. Or you could just Everything's bounce getting your, wrath. You could b- bounce your Perplex and Chimera in response to the Wrath and let everything else die and have that. Yeah, I mean, you need some sort of bounce effect. <laughs> yeah. Perplex and Chimera protects against most things, but a Wrath Effect will get rid of it. Yeah. Um, because it doesn't matter who's in control well, of the Wrath Rune effect. could bounce them out. That's true. You could bounce them out. You could, yeah, you, you could flicker them. But then, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So another thing to note is unless you have a way of untapping rune and having enough man to do it every single time, this is sort of a once per, per round effect. For Correct. Rune. rune himself only allows you to flicker one time. Correct. So what, what do we want? We want more cards that flicker things because yeah. we're going to build a deck full of stuff that wants to be flickered. We want a bunch of other things that flicker things. And like, it's like we talked about last week how I don't want to be in a situation where I don't have my commander out and I have no chance to win. Yep. So there's a lot of other cards that actually duplicate rune's effect. Yep. Um, let's one, talk about the... Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say one of my favorites is just straight up Flicker Wisp, uh-huh. uh, which is a great card, and it's one of those uncommons that's actually worth money. Uh, it's like a dollar uncommon. Uh, it's a it's a three-drop flying, three-one. When Flicker Wisp comes into play, remove another target permanent from the game, return that card to play under its owner's control at end of turn. So basically what Rune does, uh, but with a creature that does it when it enters the battlefield, uh, right. in this case, comes into play. So it's a one-time Flicker mm-hmm. use effect. So you can do, use it just like Rune, so if you have Glendalendra out, you could flicker. She comes back with no counters, yep. and then you didn't have to use Rune to tap. You know, you you could still have them available for right. somebody else's end. Step. You could grab your perplexing chimera back. Mm-hmm. You could do a lot of things with it, and ultimately, it's three mana for a three-one flying. Yeah, and so that's, it's still, that's pretty good. Yep, it's a real threat that's on the table that you know people are going to have to deal with eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, the Miss Meadow Witch is in one of my favorites. It's it's one hybrid blue white. So. The hybrid blue-white is one of those mana that you can either play a blue or a white, and then it's uh, one colorless. Right. And it's so a 1-1 one, one Kithkin Wizard, and its ability is you tap two colorless, a white and a blue, and then you exile target creature, return that card to the battlefield under its owner's control at the beginning of the next end step. So it's the exact same ability as Rune, except for two things. It costs four mana instead of two, but you don't have to tap the Miss Meta Witch to do it. Yep. That's very powerful. It means you have eight mana, you can do it twice, and... The Miss Metal Witch can flicker itself where Rune cannot. Right. So the Miss Metal Witch can protect itself. Right. The Miss Metal Witch is probably actually the best card in the deck. Yeah. So it's, it's got it's such a universal ability. Anytime you don't see the tap symbol, you've got something. Exactly. You got twelve mana. You can do it three times. Yeah. Exactly. You can go. You can start getting cr- pretty crazy once you have the Miss Metal Witch on the table with quite a bit of mana. So uh, that's another one. And then uh, Conjurer's Closet. Uh, which is a rare that's been printed four times now, I guess. So it's a five drop, and it says at the beginning of your end step, you may exile target creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield under your control. So it's basically a free flicker once it's out on the table. Yeah. And it does it at the best time yeah. often, which is at the end step when you want to be doing it. Yep. 
So that's a really good one, too, because it's just guaranteed once per turn for no additional mana, you flicker something out and back mm-hmm. in. So let's say you have a Moldrifter. Ah, uh, Moldrifter. A great card that it draws it when it comes to the battlefield you draw two cards it's, it's two, great two player. It, you know it's it's great in limited and it's okay in edh when you can only play it once yeah but it's awesome when you can repetitively use it to enter the battlefield yeah, when you exactly. can use it so if you have the conjurer's closet and a mold drifter out you're just drawing two cards for free every turn two extra cards yep and you can make that even more if you wanted to you know ruin it up right she pops in at the or he i guess i have no idea what gender the mold drifter is <laughs> i don't it, either it pops in at the end of your end step and then you have a whole another round of turns where you get to do it once before it. or you know leaving rune up is a great political decision yep. yep because it's like well do you want to do that because i can do this in response i've got the mana and the ability to do so and i can do it multiple times because i've got multiple things i can do it so you know you got all these options which is great and, and you know if you don't use it to help anybody else out or defend yourself you just use it to draw cards or or destroy a non or a non-creature permanent or or you know whatever else you've got on the table thrag test gain five life and make a three three token mm-hmm. you know you just use that before your end step so you sort of can can make those decisions as you need to make them exactly um, so yeah. this is this is what we call a toolbox deck a toolbox deck is a deck that has like a lot of different tools because there are so many creatures that have enter the battlefield effects. You can basically find a creature that has an enter the battlefield effect that can work in every situation. Yeah. They destroy enchantments, they destroy artifacts, they destroy lands, they destroy creatures, they exile creatures. There's all kinds of effects that the creatures can give you. They they bring lands into play. You know, there's all kinds of things you can find. And so the question or, or the, the problem you're going to run into is having the right creature at the right moment yeah. that has the effect you want. And the way that you've solved this is you have tutors. So there are some good tutors that are specific to this deck. So uh, Fauna Shaman is one that I like a lot. It's two mana, one, one and a green. It's just a creature. It's an elf shaman that you can tap a green and then tap it. And you discard a creature card, search your library for a creature card, reveal it, and put it into your hand. Then shuffle your library. I mean, a lot of good things about this card. One, cheat. Two, put it into your hand. Yep. That's great. Anything, anytime something goes into your hand, so at the top of the library, that is immediate card advantage. It's, I mean, it's awesome too because it's just like you can go find any creature. It costs you one green mana. Mm-hmm. You have to discard a creature from your hand to do it. Is the only downside. But what you're doing effectively is you're like, I have a creature in my hand, but it, I need to get rid of enchantment. So this creature doesn't do that. I'm going to yeah. discard it, and I'm going to go find an acidic slime or a, a War Priest of Thune, something that has a, when it enters the battlefield, destroy target enchantment on mm-hmm. it, so I can go find the tool that I need for the job that's in front of me right now. Yep. There's a card called Survival of the Fittest. Uh, this yes. is only if you have deeper pockets. Actually, there, there is a budget version that I can talk about in a second. Okay. That's the gold border version. Oh, yes, true, true. Um, so Survival of the Fittest, uh, the regular version is, is more expensive, but it is, it's an enchantment. And it costs one green. It does the same thing as the Fauna Shaman. So you tap a green, and you, you discard a creature card, and you search your library for any creature card, put it into your hand. Yeah. The only the thing that's good about Survival of the Fittest, besides the fact that it's an enchantment and harder to kill, is that it doesn't tap when you do yep. it. So and you, you can do, do it two or three times. And you can do it as soon as you play it as well. Correct. Correct. Uh, it, there's a reason it's an expensive card. It's yeah. because it's awesome. It's there's not as much enchantment removal, and you don't have to tap it. So you don't have to give it haste to do it the first turn. You can just do it immediately, which is... Pretty impressive. Uh, another one that is uh, definitely a staple of EDH is the Worldly Tutor. Just one of the wisest dudes I've ever seen. Uh, and he, <laughs> you search your library for a creature card, reveal that card to all players, and you put your on top of your library after you shuffle your library. And it just costs one, which is great. Um, Elad Omri's Call. 
is another. It's a green-white. Search your library for a creature card. Reveal that card and put it into your hand. Then shuffle your library. Another really good tutor. Basically does the same thing as Worldly Tutor, but goes into your hand instead of the top of your deck. Right. And it fits the colors. It costs one more. And, and honestly, paying that one more for it to go into your hand is worth it every time. And and it's actually about the same price as a Worldly Tutor, too, which is great. Yeah. So they're both they're both you know not super cheap, but they're affordable. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you, again, it's like being able to fetch is so important in EDH and even more important in the toolbox because it's like, hey, you know, you're trying to unscrew something with a Phillips head, but it really needs a flathead. That's Go a find good that analogy. flathead, you yep. know? Go find the flathead. Okay, let's talk about card draw. Last week, I think uh, we, we went through why we like card draw. You know, when I build a deck, I like to have at least 10 instances of card draw in the right. deck. So so one in 10 cards is going to draw me more cards because mm-hmm. it's just in, in EDH for consistency, your deck needs a lot of card draw. Yeah, uh, you want card draw because you're going through a 100-card deck and yeah. there's no four of anything. And card draw is the one thing where if you draw an opening hand and it's not great, but it has some card draw in it, then it's okay because you can draw into a good hand. Yeah, if you draw exactly. a, ha- a starting hand and it's not great and there's no card draw in it also, it's like, I'm going to draw one card a turn and try and solve this. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So we already talked about Mold Drifter, which draws us cards. Um, what else we got? Ah, Coiling Oracle. I didn't even oh, realize yeah. this card existed. The beauty about decks like Rune and Toolbox decks is that you don't need to have all the baller money rares to make a deck like this work. Um, Coiling Oracle is simple. It's just when it comes into play, reveal the top card of your library. If it's a land card, put it into play. Otherwise, put that card into your hand. Yeah, this card is, is really great because it's also fantastic. ramp. Yeah, it's ramp and card draw at the same time for two mana. What we should say is ramp is um, when you're ahead on mana more than like your one land per turn. Right. So, so Soul Ring is lamp, is ramp. Anything that gets you so that on turn four, I actually have five mana available to me mm-hmm. rather than four mana available yeah. to And me. green is by far the best color to do this in. Yep. Uh, everything is about exploding, cultivating, far-seeking, and yep. reaching into your deck and grabbing lands and putting them into play. So Coiling Oracle is great because it allows you to also, you know, it's there's nothing better than being like, hey, cool, free land play. I yep. get to play two lands this turn because of a Coiling Oracle. And if the, you don't get the land, then you get to draw that card. Yep. So either way, you're a card ahead. Um, there's also Elvish Visionary. It's a uh, two mana for a one one, and when it comes into play, you draw a card. It's not an expensive card. It's a very uh, it's a yeah. very cheap card. But you know, it has when you can use Rune to continuously flicker it. So yeah. for two mana, you're just drawing a card every turn. Like yeah. it's perfectly serviceable. It's a good card in the deck. Yeah, and not just Rune will be flickering, and a lot of other things hopefully will be Correct. flickering. And and it's also important to note that it is a cheap card. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can't make a deck that's all just twenty drops, eight drops, ten drops that are just the coolest, biggest, baddest creatures you own. Because you're only going to get to play them eight, you know, turn eight, turn ten, and Correct. having an Elvish Visionary on turn one is great. You get another card that turn, and you're you're automatically doing slightly better than everyone else. Correct. Um, okay, so that's just some examples of card draw. There's a lot of there's a lot of um, cards that uh, have entered the battlefield effects that deal with card draw. So um, let's talk about ramp. There's uh, cards that can give you ramp. There's something called the um, Far Haven Elf. And uh, what the Farhaven Elf does, it's three mana for a 1-1. And when it comes into play, you search your library for a basic land card and put it into play tapped. So this is actually fixing in addition to ramp. Right. So you get one extra land in play a turn earlier than you would. And you can go find a specific land type. Now, it has to be basic land, but, you know, if you need another island, you go get an island. Yeah, it's very important to note that cards that say search your library for a basic land type, is they're awesome. Because it means that, like, hey, you know, maybe your opening hand didn't have, you only had two of your colors, but you also had this card in your hand. Which means that, okay, I don't need to worry about necessarily drawing that land, because I have a way to fetch it. Uh, another card that does that is Pilgrim's Eye. It's it's an artifact creature for three, and it's flying 1-1. One, one. When it enters the battlefield, you may search your library for a basic land card, reveal it, and put it into your hand and shuffle your library. Not as good as putting it into play tapped. 
uh, but still pretty great because you can fix. And it's a flyer. So if you ever need a chump locker to yep. block yep. and then, you know, flicker them out and do it again, it's yep. awesome. And, you know, you're going to miss land drops sometimes. You're not just going to have a land to right. play every turn. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you're just going to want to go get that, that land and keep mm-hmm. playing a land every turn. So, uh, and, and it's card advantage. It's, all, it's also card draw. You know, both of those yeah. cards are technically card draws. It's just you drew a land, but, right. you know, sometimes you need land. So. The nice thing, too, about this deck is that because you have so many different utility creatures on the board, you know, all, all sort of parts of your toolbox are being represented, it's really hard for people to, you know, because a, a lot of EDH decks run single spot removal, where it's like, mm-hmm. I want to just get rid of this giant guy. So it's a kill one thing. And if you have five different things on the table and all of them do really effective things, either searching for lands or grabbing, uh, you know, more getting you more mana, it's really hard for an opponent to choose and kill the one that's most effective because really they're all effective. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's true point. synergy. Okay, so let's talk about some cards that you might not think of. Ah, yes. Um, aura Shards, one of my favorite. It says when a creature comes into play under your control, you can destroy target artifact or enchantment. So what's... Nice. The way this is going to work, it's not just when you play creatures from your hand. It's mm-hmm. also when you flicker them out because yep. then they come into play at the beginning of the next end step. That counts. That triggers Aura Shards. Yeah. Aura Shards is devastating in this deck because you can very easily get to a point where like, you just destroy every enchantment and artifact that's going to come out from your opponents yeah. on the entire table. Yeah, and artifact destruction is so important yep. in Commander. Because enchantments, too. It's just hard to get rid definitely. of them. Yeah. It's scary, too, because it's just like, uh, I can have this card, and what if there's no enchantment out, which happens sometimes. Right. You know, but with aura shards, like it just sits there on the table and just waits to be used as soon as somebody does, and it right. works on artifacts too. So it's a brutal card. Yeah, definitely. Uh, another great card is Cathar's Crusade, which is just a five-drop oh, yeah. enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under control, put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control. Super. It's it, it's hard to understand how how like powerful this powerful perhaps. this is. But let's yeah. say you have four creatures on the table, and you flicker out two of them. They both come into play. They both put two tokens on all your creatures. Mm-hmm. Now you flicker out another including one. itself. Correct, including itself. Now you flicker out another one. It loses its tokens, but, but then it puts a one token on every other creature, including itself. Yeah. A card that works really good with Cather's Crusade is Glenlendra. Definitely. Because what happens is she, you sacrifice her. She she dies. She has persist. She comes back with a negative one, negative one counter. Cather's Crusade gives her a plus one, plus one counter for coming into play, and all your creatures a plus one, plus one counter. Mm-hmm. So now she's got no counters on her because the, the negative one and the plus one cancel each other out. With Cather's Crusade out and Glenelandra, you can essentially counter unlimited amount of non-creature spells as long as you have the blue mana for it. Yeah, yeah. Another creature that works really good with Cather's Crusade is a card called Fathom Mage. Ah, uh, I like Fathom Mage. Yeah, whenever you put a plus one, plus one counter on it, you draw a card. Which means now I can flicker out my acidic slime. I can kill an enchantment, an artifact, or a land. And when mm-hmm. it comes back into play, I can draw a card because it'll put a counter on all my creatures, including Fathom Mage. Yeah. Yeah, super powerful. That's pretty awesome. Uh, Stralonic Resonator, too, is a super cheap card that is great. Uh, you get to pay two and tap it, and you get to copy a target triggered ability. Yeah, so basically anything, any of your Enter the Battlefield effects, yeah. you just copy it. You do it twice. Yep. yep. So if you have Mold Drifter now, you flicker it out. For two more mana, you draw two more cards. Mm-hmm. It's uh yeah that's a great one yeah and there's one card here that that uh, it's funny because Josh wrote up the document that says cards you might not think of but it's literally the first card I think of whenever you say the two colors that this card is in and that's the <laughs> profit of Crufix <laughs> I I only said cards you may not think of because it doesn't actually have anything to do with flickering it's very true it's very yeah. true profit of Crufix we mentioned it last week we'll probably mention it every single time <laughs> that green and blue are the colors of the commander but even not I'll mention it when I want profit of Crufix to be in the colors <laughs> just for its effect it's. It's entire, yeah, it's super powerful. On everybody else's turn, you untap all your lands during and creatures upkeep. during yeah. their upkeep, and you, all your creatures have flash. 
Yeah. So this does a lot of things for this deck, even though it doesn't have to do with flickering. For one, you just need to be able to use mana on other people's turns. For two, rune untaps now every, every turn. single turn. Yeah. And your mana untaps, so you can basically get additional flickers that you couldn't otherwise do. Mm-hmm. For three, your creatures have flash, so now they they can come into play and activate their uh, enter the battlefield abilities right. as instants, which is really powerful. Like duplicate, which ex- we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. uh, exiles a creature. You use it as an instant removal spell now. Yeah. An instant exile removal spell. Yeah, and for two more, you can do it twice in that same turn because you can you know, flicker them one way or the other. Yep, exactly. And we talked earlier about how much more powerful instant is in EDH because people do this thing where they all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you know, put together something that's going to kill you, yep. and, and you, you're you not going to be able to wait until your turn to respond. They're yeah. going to do it right now. And so if you have an instant, is, the, is a lot of times the only chance you have right. to stop those things from happening. So, And I'd say most really effective combos take anywhere from three to five cards, mm-hmm. and usually removing one of those will, you know... Set them back a long yeah, way. exactly. It's like a triangle. If you remove one of the points, it just sort of falls flat. You know, exactly. can't, you, can't do it, you can't do it without all three of the cards. So being able to do that removal at instant speed is amazing. Uh, and also, this, the colors that this deck is in allow you options to do that as well with swords and with counter spells and so many different options so this deck is definitely great in being able to respond to stuff just immediately especially if you can get the right pieces out yeah it's that's why it's called toolbox deck um the last card i want to mention that you may not think of is a card called genesis Uh, not necessarily a really really cheap card not super expensive but what genesis does well the thing that does that's important is if Genesis is in your graveyard, at the beginning of your upkeep, you pay three mana, and you can take any card from your, any creature card from your graveyard and put it into your hand. Yep. So any of your creatures that have gone to the graveyard have died. If Genesis is in your graveyard, you can get any of them back for three mana. Yeah. So this is really powerful with Fauna Shaman, with Survival of the Fittest. The first card you probably want to go get is Genesis. Yeah. And then you want to do it again and discard Genesis and go get another creature that you want. Exactly. Uh, and there, there are a lot of cards that will get removed uh, one way or another. If you have to block something, yeah. you know, you're going to have to chump block it. And let's say you don't have the man to, to, to flicker it out and save it. It's okay. You're going to have ways to recur those from your graveyard, and Genesis is probably one of the most solid ways of doing it because it really is. he's in your graveyard. Unless someone's going to run graveyard hate, which people do in EDH and Commander, uh, you you should be able to pull them off yep. pretty often. Yeah, because people have better things to do than to get rid of single cards in your graveyard that aren't going to kill them in one turn. Okay, so let's talk about some cards that seem like they're good but maybe aren't as good. Um, the first cards I would say are like single use flickers yeah instant um, sorceries yeah so one i've got here is called turn to mist it's an instant remove target creature from the game return that card to play under its owner's control at end of turn so basically does what rune does yeah but it does it once at first glance it's like oh cool yeah this yeah. i'll definitely put this in my deck it yeah. does it does what i want to do in case i need to do it i can do it again but there are going to be better cards for that value to put in your deck that is literally just a better card that you can be used more than once. Anything yeah. that can be used more than once yeah. that costs even more mana than two is going to be more effective. In exactly, case. because in EDH, we're not quite as worried about things like uh, the cost of the spell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, We want to be able to use it more than once. Exactly. You know? yeah. uh, there's another one called Ghostly Flicker, which is two in the blue, and it's exile two target artifacts, creatures, and or land you control, then return those cards to the battlefield under your control. Now, this is cool because it can target more things, not just creatures, and it's like right. artifacts and lands, which right. is unusual. Um, but the thing is, in these colors, there aren't really lands that are going to do much for you. Uh, that, or artifacts that, come back that in. I mean, an artifact creature, but you can already bounce that. Right, exactly. And being able to do it to two things seems like it's better, but at the same time, unless you specifically have a combo piece, right, that requires two things to go out at the exact mm-hmm. same time and come back, it's just not worth it. Yeah. You know, there are better instants. You know, I would gladly put a counter spell in here than this any day of the week. I think if you put those cards in your deck, 
uh, you need to put some cards like Archaeomancer or Mnemonic Wall, which mm-hmm. go and get instants or sorceries from your graveyard and put right. them back in your hand. Because it's just not worth it to run cards that you're just going to one-off. Yeah, you know, exactly. You want to be able to reuse them. So another type of creature or another type of card that may seem really good but maybe isn't as good is there's a lot of cards that sort of bounce your own things right putting them back to your hands yes it it feels good like that's the kind of thing you'd want to do is like oh i'm going to play my acidic slime i'm going to kill an artifact and then you know i'm going to use this card to put that card back in my hand then i'm going to cast it again but that you're just using a really expensive way to do the same thing that rune does for cheap right Right. Yeah. So, and you're going to find like, man, that's going to cost so much mana that I'm not going to be able to do it very often. Mm -hmm. Also, I can't do it like during their, their turns, which is a really important thing. I can't do things like block and then flicker. Like it's, it's, it's just really tough to pull it off. Now I I might have a couple of these effects in my deck because there's a few cards I, I might want to, they don't work as good flickering. There's a card called uh, mystic snake. Mystic snake comes into play and it counters a spell. Yeah. And then it's a two, two creature. And so now if you flicker it out, it won't work as a counterspell again. Right. So you do want that card back into your hand. So there's a few cards. So maybe you want one way or two ways to mm-hmm. to sort of repetitively bounce things when you want to. Yeah. But you have to actively think, like, if, if you're going to be like, okay, cool, I'm going to make, make my deck half this and half that. You know, every card that you do that takes away from the synergy is literally just taking away from the synergy even though you're, you're creating new pockets of synergy other places it's almost like you're growing a tree that's separate to the one that you're doing and i like to think of edh decks as trees you know you start off with a really central idea and then things spawn off from that you know it's all the branches of the trees they all do different things and this deck is about flickering it's not about enter the battlefield necessarily because a lot of the cards are leave the battlefield they, they have other purposes to them it's about flickering and so putting a card back in your hand and playing it is not necessarily flickering. It's like really slow mana draining flickering yeah. that's very conditional. So, yeah. you, you know, you don't want to focus too much on it. But a card like Mystic Snake is incredible. But it's not It still as, belongs in the deck. It's yeah, it just, still belongs in the deck. Yeah, and maybe you have one or two ways to sort of... Uh, bounce things back to your own hands mm-hmm. you know but but don't go don't go all in on yeah. unsummon your own stuff effects yeah um another creature type that i sort of i tend to avoid with this type of deck is something that creates a token when it comes in it feels good like there's seller of yeah. songbirds it creates a one one bird creature w- with flying when it enters the battlefield and then it's like oh i'm gonna flicker it i'm gonna make another one one bird yeah. creature with turn. there's some that make four four angels you know that yeah. feels good too but this deck is not going to win through attacking and blocking mm-hmm. that's not how it's going to do it what it's going to do is going to lock everybody out yeah. at some point it's going to just have so much reoccurring you know repetitive effect that nobody can really you know pull off anything of any importance yeah definitely. and and then you're going to just and then you're just going to finish them off and that's mostly how this deck's going to work you're probably not going to get to the point where you have like 17 four four angels because you flickered that guy so many times yeah you know that's just not really going to going to work because in order to make that strategy work you'd need to be able to you know duplicate your tokens pump give them, them pump them you yeah. know that's you again it's like you said that's that's a different trunk yeah that's, you, that's a whole different deck they can build around yeah. that so don't get caught in the trap of uh, enter the battlefield, uh, make make a token um, effects. You want toolbox type effects. Yeah, you know stuff that deals with the threats out on the table that are maybe going to come at you. It's really uh, at its heart, it's a little, it's it's more controly. It's a more right. of a control deck. So um, let's talk about countering this deck and how you beat it. Because okay. the first time I played this deck, I was like, ah, you're harmless. You know, you're playing the political <laughs> game. You're just bouncing things back and forth. And then you won. And then I went, wait, hold on. No, no. well, that I, I could have had that game. We played another one. You still won. I was like, okay, what's going on here? I, for in an instant, I was like, this deck is unbeatable. This deck is broken. <laughs> and then clearly 
There nothing. are ways to stop. There are it. always ways to stop yeah. things. Yeah, this is Magic the Gathering. It's not. It's never as one sided as you may think. There's one card that actually sort of completely shuts down this deck. It's called the Torpor Orb. You want to yeah. go ahead and read it? Yeah, it's a two drop for an artifact. Creatures entering the battlefield don't cause abilities to trigger. Creatures entering the battlefield don't cause abilities to trigger. This Oof. is like the whole. It, it's a big off switch for the whole deck. Yeah. Right, because none of your guys have just basically all their text is blank. Yeah, they don't have any enter the battlefield. It pretty much pulls the rug under under everyone, including the guys that get rid of cards like Torpor or can't even do it because yep. it stops them from doing it. Yep, if yeah, exactly, because your answer in the deck is usually going to be a creature that says when it enters the battlefield, destroy target artifact. Right. Well, it doesn't have any enter the battlefield. Anymore, yeah. yeah. So that that card. Uh, is definitely super powerful. It's actually a pretty good card to run in your commander deck in general because usually yeah. people are going to have a few creatures. Right. You know, they're going to run Angel of Serenity. They're going to run... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of creatures they're going to run that just... They're not going to flicker them. They're just going to be get additional value out of them and you're going to turn all those creatures off. Yeah, especially if your creatures don't benefit from Enter the Battlefield mm-hmm. effects and stuff, then you should you know, at least have Torpor Orb in your quote-unquote sideboard or cards that you like to play in case you know you're going up against a deck like yours, you know? Yeah, I would also say that, like, the thing is, if you have a couple creatures with Enter the Battlefield effects, you can still put Torpor Orb in your deck. yeah, definitely. Because if they're ever in your hand, you're just like, I'll play my creature first, First, and then I'll play Torpor Orb. Like, I'm in control of it. So it's a pretty powerful card. I hate to say that because I don't want more of them out there, like, being used. (laughs) But I think it's useful as a card, and, and, you know... If you put it in a deck where you can go and tutor it up somehow, then you know, yeah. it's, oh man, it kills this deck. Yeah. Um, well, and the nice thing is that it, it's it's a it's like a world enchantment. It affects everything. It's not yeah. a single target, and it really does shut down a lot of decks. Actually, like my Kiki Jiki deck would be terrified yep. Yep. of this card. Yep, because yeah, the Kiki Jiki wants to copy stuff within yep. the battlefield. And, exactly. Yep. So along the the lines of the Torpor Orb, there is this uh, new card in M15. It's called the Hushwing Griff. Have you seen this? Yes, it just got spoiled recently, and it's awesome. Yeah, it, it, except if you're playing the Flicker deck, in which case it sucks. <laughs> Not awesome, yeah. <laughs> so it essentially does the same thing. Creatures entering the battlefield don't cause abilities to trigger. It's a two-and-a-white creature. It's a white Hippogriff, and it's 2-1, but there's two other awesome things about it. It's Flash and Flying. Yeah, so it's it's scary it's very scary yeah. uh, especially because you can do it in response to stuff you can stack it on the put it on the stack and just shut down someone's deck yeah the fact that it's flash is pretty unique because mm-hmm. it'll actually they they um cast something that has an enter the battlefield effect and then you flash in the hushwing griff and then all of a sudden you you basically countered their enter the battlefield effect yep. And any more enter battlefield effects they're going to want to cast yeah, like until they kill own. this thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can totally foil their plans for that turn. Yeah. And ugh, I'm having nightmares about this card already. <laughs> okay, so another thing that uh, that that's really good is board wipes and wrath effects. Now mm-hmm. they seem like they wouldn't be great because it's like, oh, he'll just flicker his stuff out. But you know, here's the thing: if I've got five or six creatures out, I can only flicker a couple of them. Yeah, that's right. So what happens is I'm gonna still lose most of them. It still hurts. Like a board wipe yeah. in general is very powerful against the flicker deck. Yeah, um, you can flicker a couple of them, but you can't flicker all of them. And there are board wipes that only get rid of cards on certain other players. If someone's playing black, there is I think three or four options that just get rid of a certain player's cards. Yep. You know, so there's lots of options to go with here. And, and board wipes in general, you should always be putting them in your decks, mm-hmm. uh, unless your deck really has no other you know, ways to board wipe but then you know there's great cards like there's the eldrazi board wipe consume the yeah, meek. all his dust 
All his dust? All his dust is destroyed all non-colored permanents. Yeah. But Consume the Meek is nice because it destroys everything with uh, mana oh, class yeah. three or less. Yep. So for a deck like this, a lot of these creatures are cheap. Yep. They just get wiped off. And, and your you, big creatures still around. That's right. Everyone yep. else's big creatures are around too. Yep. But True. at the very least, you could get rid of this threat. So there's lots of options. And board wipes, always, always effective. Especially uh, instant board wipes. Because mm-hmm. uh, what you can do is they flicker something. During, you, know, they, you, you say, okay, I'm done. And they go, okay, before your end step, I'm going to flicker this. Right. And they use rune. And now they don't have any mana untapped, and you go, oh yeah, I'm gonna use my faded retribution now, and Goodbye. all you're gonna have, yep, all you're gonna have is one mole drifter after this is all over, you know, yeah. where you would have saved something else if you knew that was gonna happen. So wrath effects, yeah, they suck uh, when you're playing this deck. You don't, yeah. you don't want anybody to wrath. Um, uh, tuck effects are strong. I don't think they're like incredibly strong because you do have other ways to flicker stuff. Yeah, and this deck is built <clears throat> around flickering everything. So tuck effects is it's a good uh, delay. Yeah, I mean it'll get rid of rune and it'll get one of their good way to flicker something, but it's not like it's not going to completely shut them down if they have yeah. a miss. If they get their miss meadow witch mm-hmm. out, and th- they can get their miss meadow witch if they get their fauna shaman or their survival of the fittest or any right. of their tutors to go find it. So it's not going to just put the brakes on fully, but it'll slow them down for sure. Yeah, and sometimes it all you need is one turn, you know. So being yep. able to to counter is is always good. Uh, and the last meddling mage type effects. Uh, meddling mage is a great character. You can just put him in the play, and you can name a card, and that card cannot, cannot be, be played. Yep. It's great. It costs two. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And cards like there are a bunch of cards that do this actually. Yeah, there's uh, Nevermore. I think is another one. There's a bunch that say, yeah. you know, needle. name a card. Yeah, Pithing Needle says activated abilities can't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would you could name Rune with the Pithing Needle, and then you can't tap him to flicker anything anymore. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of cards like that. They're going to be effective in the same way. Yeah, and they're um, budget too. And, and yep. in general, they're they're pretty fun cards to run in commander decks. <laughs> You're always going to be able to name somebody's commander, like. Yeah. You know, and and sh- and there's going to be a lot of decks that are built around their commander such that yeah, yeah, it's going to shut them down pretty well. Yeah, and the new card that's going down very rapidly in price because of conspiracy reprinting it is Stifle. Yep, which is a great. Uh, it's a one-time use counter target activated or triggered ability. ability. Yep, yep. So yeah. that can help you. I think against the Flicker deck, it's not super powerful because it's not the one ability right. that's really going to get lots you. Of it's just going to be the fact that they keep doing it. It's sort yeah. of a war of attrition. It's just hard to keep up with yeah. you know, them having continuous effects. Yeah. That's why yeah, I think board wipes day. and yeah. uh, Torpor Orb and those sort of things are the most effective. Oh, Torpor Orb. <laughs> Torpor Orb. No! <laughs> yeah, that's, that card gives you nightmares. Uh, it does. <laughs> okay, let's talk about some stuff that seems like it's a good counter, but it's not that great. Right. Single target removal. Nope. Yep. Flicker they, in response. Yep. It's kind of like last week when uh, the Marchesa deck would just sacrifice their stuff in response. Yeah. The Rune deck will just flicker itself in re- or its own stuff in response. Yeah. Now, sometimes you can catch them with their pants down and you can f- you can target Rune because he himself, he, he has to flicker another creature. He can't right. flicker himself. Right. But, you know, usually if they're smart, they have a way to protect him. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, like Hexproof, just some Swiftfoot boots. Yep. So yep. many different things. Yep. Um, uh, control magic effects are again for the same reason flicker in response yep. actually control magic effects even worse they don't even have to do it in response they can just wait until another yeah. you know their turn when they get mana and stuff and they can flicker it then yeah. oh and bounce effects unsummon effects they're just really bad against this deck <laughs> literally the worst you could do against yeah because we were just talking about how this deck might even want to do that to itself right so you doing it to them is definitely not they're not mad about it at all they're just like yeah. oh sweet I get to play this again and get the effect again yeah for this deck Everything is going to enter the battlefield and do something. So you usually just want to not do yeah, that. Totally agree. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about we know how they might try and counter us now. So how do we counter their counters? You know, their disruption is going to come at us. It's going to be the torpor orb. It's going to be board wipes. It's going to be tuck effects that hide our 
commander deep into our grave or into our uh, library. It's going to be meddling mage, which just doesn't even let us play our commander. Right. You know. So how do we uh, how do we get around their disruption? And um, one of my favorite ways to do this is uh, the planar guide. Yeah, I just read this card for the first time, and I'm like, yep, that's an awesome. It's an awesome dude. card. It's a uh, one white mana for a one one, and then you don't have to tap him, so you can do this. The turn he comes into play, you tap four mana. And you remove Planar Guide from the game, and then you remove all other creatures from the game. That's your opponent's creatures, too. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of turn, return those cards to play under their owner's control. So what this does is they play a Wrath of God. You play your, you set off your Planar Guide, and all, everything on the board goes to another plane. The Wrath takes happens, and at the end of turn, all those cards come back. So you right. avoid the board wipe. And you usually are going to benefit the most from this because all your cards have entered the battlefield effects. Yeah. So you'll be like, all right, cool, when this happens, everyone waits five minutes while everything resolves, and you're like, all right, cool, yeah. I'm done. <laughs> it's, like, it's usually like, I play Wrath of God. Okay, I planar guide. All, everything everything uh, leaves the battlefield. The Wrath of God happens. Now everything comes back onto the battlefield, and... Let's see. I get to destroy three enchantments, an artifact. Right. I get to exile a creature, and I get to draw two cards. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. it's just like it's, the game's almost over. It's as though they paid mana for you to do the best thing ever. Yeah. Uh, and, and the nice thing is too is like you can even use this if a board wipe doesn't happen. Yeah. You, you know, just use it for fun. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes um, it's just alpha strike. It's just like, oh, if I just can flicker all my guys one yeah. time, I'll win. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, oh, look, everyone else has tokens and stuff. Great. Perfect. Yep. They're Gets rid of back. all the tokens on the board. Somebody exactly. just made like 20 pr tokens with Prosh. Sorry. Yeah. They're all gone. Uh, another card that's amazing that I realize actually goes really well in the Marchesa deck is Cauldron of Souls, which is a five-drop artifact, and you can tap it to choose any number of target creatures, and each of those creatures gains persist until end of turn, which is another great way to stop a board wipe just yep. for yourself. Most of your creatures, you have a few 1-1s, one but most of them are at least 2-2s. Two mm -hmm. The thing that's great about this is you can then flicker them later to get rid of the negative 1, negative 1 counters they get from Persist. Right. So they're not even, like, permanently injured by it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's super strong. Another way around board wipes. Uh, it's pretty good in the Marchesa deck. Um, it's also useful as, like, a group hug mechanic. You can save, right. uh, you you can can save other people's creatures that were going to die, mm -hmm. you know? So you can... It's just good... It's, if that's the only reason the card's in the deck is for group hug type, like, help other people. I think it's not that strong. But if it's just, yeah. like, incidental, like, oh, I'll usually use it for myself, but I could use it to help someone else. Yeah, then I like, think hey, you powerful. have an Angel of Serenity? Well, guess what? You get exiled on another three cards, and just don't choose mine, and I'll make sure it lives. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So lots of fun stuff that can happen there. Um, the next one uh, I'm thinking of is Avacyn. Oh, yeah. Angel of Hope. Making everything indestructible yep. usually is a pretty good effect. You can notice that most of the uh, most of these are ways to get around board wipes because board wipes are one of the scariest things that can yeah, happen to exactly. a, a deck like this. Because you get your whole board set up, you're like, I have an answer to everything. Like, I have a creature that does this, I have a creature that does this, and then somebody wipes the board, and you're like, oh crap, I'm screwed. Yeah. yeah. But if you have Avacyn out, it's really hard for them to wipe the board and kill everything because it all has an indestructible. I mean, yep. Toxic Deluge could do it. Yeah, but then they're taking a big hit to their life just to kill Avacyn. Yeah. So, you know, at, at the very least... No. And you can still flicker a couple things. Right, right. And, and they still lose a little bit of life. Yeah, that's true. And you can flicker Avacyn, really. It's, it's the most important. Mm -hmm. uh, and then because of the Torpor Orb, you need at least a card or two that destroys artifacts but isn't a creature that has an enter the battlefield effect. So you need, you know, some type of disenchant. Right. Some type of... Hopefully you, it's reoccurring. But even aura shards 
requires an enter that comes into play. Yeah. So it, the Torpor Orb stops that. So you need to make sure that your deck has one or two ways to get rid of an artifact yep. that isn't a, an enter the battlefield effect. Yeah. Because Even just stealing the artifact is a way to get rid of yep. it, to be honest. No, um, no, stealing it won't do it. It, it, it affects oh, right, the whole board. Oh, right, Torpor Orb, that's right. Yeah, yeah correct. Sorry so about that. Yeah. You need something that gets rid of it that's an instant or a sorcery. Or, just counter it. <laughs> yep, just counter it. You always want counter spells, and that's number five. Yep. Counter spells is blues. If you're playing blue, that's your that that's a potential answer to anything. Yeah, that's your bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to have counter spells in your deck. And uh, when it comes to commander, there there's you know it's the toolbox. You got to have hinder. You got to have the regular counter spell. You got to have Glendalendra counter spell and the creature. You know all these things are just so effective. And if you don't have them, then you're, you're asking to get hurt essentially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, let's talk about how this deck like plays out. It yeah, what, what are the win conditions? It here? generally wins by having enough answers to eventually sort of take over the game and lock the board down. Um, the trick is playing out your threats only when needed and not scaring everyone. You know, yeah, if you can play this deck incorrectly, and it's usually like just playing everything out for no reason. Yeah, you know, you're going to end up holding a lot of your cards and sort of using them when you need to use them. Um, you want to get some sort of protection out for your commander for rune uh, before you play him out. Yep. Generally. So getting the Miss Meadow Witch out. Again, I wouldn't play the Miss Meadow Witch out unless I had at least six mana. So it's two to player and then four to activate her ability mm-hmm. so that I can at least protect her. Yeah. And then the next time, you know, I can play Rune and now I can maybe protect them both or at least protect yeah. one of them. Yeah. And have extra mana to equip, you know, Swift Foot Boots or, mm-hmm. you know, any number of things on them to protect them even more. Mm-hmm. And then once you get your Fauna Shaman or your Survival of the Fittest or a cu- couple of... Um, tutors like you're in really good shape because you're going to be feeling like oh no matter what anybody plays i will have an answer for it yeah and i'll be able to go find that answer because i'll have the ways to find it so Mm -hmm. that's sort of how this it it plays really controlly if you get a perplexing chimera and a glenelendra out and a way to flicker them like all of a sudden the whole game changes and all revolves around like holy crap how do i get anything through yeah and specifically, we have to team up to get rid of Rune at this point yeah. because there's but so many. But even then, it's very, very hard yep. with the Barplexing Chimera out and Glenelendra. It's extremely hard for even three players teaming up on you to do anything. Yeah, exactly. Because they play one thing, you counter it with Glenelendra. Mm-hmm. Now they play another thing, you steal the thing and give them the Perplexing Chimera in return. And then you flicker their Perplexing Chimera yeah. and get it back. And now the next thing... The, so they need four or five answers yeah. between yeah. the three or four of them. It's ri- If you can get those things on the board... Uh, the Glenelinger, the Perplexing Chimera, and ways to continuously flicker them. You could lock the whole thing down. You have a chance at locking yeah. three or four players out. Yeah. You know, And playing this deck, you should know that. You should know that these are the cards now. So if you ever do see them and Rune's coming up against so you, you can be like, okay, here are things that we need to address as a group yep. immediately. And you have to address them before they happen. Once stuff hits the table, sometimes you're in big trouble. Yeah, exactly. It's very powerful once this stuff is landed because you can flicker it out. So it's very mm-hmm. hard to get rid of the thing, yeah. the keep components that you want to get rid of. Yeah, Glenn Lander can start countering from the moment she hits the table. Yeah. So. Okay, so um, that'll do it for episode two. Hopefully you guys uh, learned something about politics negotiations. Uh, as always, we'll put the deck list in the know, show notes. Yeah, you know, hopefully if you've got some suggestions of how to change the deck list, you can do that in the comments. Yeah, and the great thing is, is that every deck list is is so conditional to the group that they're being played in. So you know, it, it's a starting point. Yeah. If you don't want to pay, you know, however much it costs to get Survival of the Fittest, there are other options. You know, so you can switch stuff around. Uh, there's always budget options for magic cards. They may not be as powerful, but in a game like Commander, fortunately, that doesn't matter as much. Like we said, sometimes less powerful cards are good. Yep. Exactly. Also, tailor it to your playgroup. Like we said before, you know, if nobody's playing any Wrath Effects, yep. you don't have to worry about all these things that get around Wrath Effects. If nobody's playing any, you know, 
counter spells, you don't have to worry about, you know, getting countered. Like, don't put stuff into your deck that's going to, like, uh, take care of something that nobody else yeah. is going to play. Although I guarantee you, if you play this deck enough, you will have to start worrying about yeah. those because people start putting them in. <laughs> that's true. All right, so the next episode of The Command Zone, we're going to talk about a sweet set that just came out called Conspiracy. Which is awesome. We've been having so much fun with it. Yeah, I've drafted it already, I think, six or seven times, and I do not plan on stopping anytime soon. <laughs> it's really made for EDH players, too. So while we may not be talking about a specific EDH deck, it's if you like EDH, you will like this format. Don't, yeah. don't miss it. Yeah, don't miss it. Great multiplayer fun and a lot of really fun cards to talk about that introduce a bunch of new mechanics to the game. Yeah, it's super fun. Cool. So if you are listening to this podcast, we'd like to let you know that there's also an option to watch it on YouTube. So just check out the uh, links. It's all going to be in the show notes. It's really cool because you can actually uh, see the cards as we talk about them. Yeah. But if you're just listening to this in your car and you can't do that, no worries. But if you're watching this and want to listen to it in your car or when you're falling asleep at night, you can download the podcast and subscribe. There is an RSS feed for all that stuff. Yeah. You can listen to our sweet, sweet voices as you fall asleep at night. And that's all. What? We're not going to put people to sleep. No, hopefully not. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Until next time. See you later. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. (laughs)